Yo, what's good, First Smoke family? Today we got episode 91, Wonder Bread. And if you haven't already, you know what I'm going to say, jump on that website, fsotd.com. Shout out to the Tier 3 gang. Go get the merch. Family Ties merch is on there. Shout out to everybody that came to the event. We got rolling trays, all the good stuff we use on the show. Go check it out. Also, go to drdabber.com. Use the code FIRSTSMOKE. Go get you an excess and a white Evo like me and Biggs are rocking. You know what I'm saying? Fuck with the Dr. Dabber crew. I don't really dab, but I do Dr. Dabber. <laughs> what else? If you're a grower and you need supplies, if you're a hustler and you need bags, all the above, right? If you're in the industry, growgeneration.com or Grow Generation stores nationwide. First Smoke 10 is the code you wanna use at checkout, trust me. Also, if you're a grower and your flower's not tasting the way it should, it's not looking the way it should, it doesn't smell like it should, Drip Hydro, nutrient company we rock with. First Smoke 10 again, but let us know. Reach out, family at firstsmokeoftheday.com. Send us an email. Let us know you wanna try Drip Hydro. We'll link you up, I promise. We'll get you a trial run. We got you taken care of, and without any further ado, let's get into these flavors with Brett from Wonder Brett. Let's go. I've had dreams about going to two for years, but I, I won the breath facility. Then I run into exhibit at Tower Records. What's poppin' y'all? This is another smoke box presented by Be Real TV. I'm Dr. Green Dump, AKA Be Real, here with my man Wonder Brett. How's it going, bro? I got really into it with when in 98 when I got gifted the OG cut. I thought the windows were going to blow out of my car. What's good, everybody? We're back. It's first smoke of the day. We got a special episode today, episode 91. It's your boy Pat God's in the building. I'm here with my co-host Blackleaf as what always. Up? What up? What's good, man? We got a special <laughs> guest, man, Brett of Wonder Brett yeah. in today, man. Thank you guys for having me. Dude, legend in the game, been doing your thing for a long time, and uh, it's a pleasure. It's a great show. You guys have a great format, so I'm interested to see uh, what kind of uh, questions or curveballs you might you guys might have lined up for me. So. It's funny you say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! I already stepped into it. <laughs> Don't Dude, I got another special gut. No, <laughs> <laughs> bring him in. <laughs> nah, yeah. none of that, man. It's like um, a versus I'll, challenge all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even the stuff we're looking at right here on the table, it's like a blast from the past, like Northern Lights, um, the blueberry, like mm. it's, you're still in touch with all the, all the flavors and stuff. So it's cool to see that, you know, and like you're, you're keeping it relevant and you're keeping it dialed into your brand and how you do things. So it's mm. cool. You got a different style. I like that. Yeah. We've, we've been in a different lane for a long time. Like, uh, but we we had a vision of of trying to build this offering of all these fruit flavors, right? And and all the gas that we could get to with OG and and cookies or whatever it was at that time. Like we're just trying to make this offering where it was because the direct consumers is so different, right? So they want sativas, you know, but like maybe like, you know, the rest of the world doesn't want sativa at all. So like, you know, I don't know a, a grow right now that I could walk into right now where they're loaded up on sativas. Cause there's, if you can't sell that in the, the rec market, like there's really no home for that right now. 
unless you have a very specific uh you know buyer at that point you know in, in your network that that feeds off of that one sativa strain or whatever two or three but in the rec market uh we're trying to offer something that's like okay this guy he, he these people have never had strawberry this is somebody new to the market right that that hasn't been around for 20 years and maybe we're all we've all had plenty of strawberry strains and or maybe we've had enough uh blueberry or enough uh you know, orange strains or something like that. But, you know, we tried to find the best orange strain that we, we like this represents the best of orange that we feel like is that we could put out or the best of a strawberry strain or a best of a lemon strain. So that part of the menu is for like a wider audience, right? Like it's not just for the street, right? But I always feel like if anybody from the street wants to show up with a lemon strain and compete with our lemon OZK, then I feel like we can, we can battle. You know, I'll take the Pepsi Cola challenge. Like, and if if we lose, we lose. You know, like just as long as it's a fair vote and fair fight. You know, so but it's it's about having that that like array. You know, yeah, I like that. And you're focused like terpene specific mm-hmm. flavors. Yeah, you know, it's all based on that. So it would lead to the concentrates because when we were developing the menu and like searching for strains, like. You know, shout out to uh, DNA Genetics and Crockett and those guys, the old school cats. Like, that's kind of like where I started with some of the first seed packs, TGA, um, those guys as well. Like, um, but I got really into it with when in 98 when I got gifted the OG cut, right? So everything was OG crosses with different males because I didn't understand how you could, you know, I didn't understand the reversing or any of that kind of stuff at that point. So, uh, it was just like, I need to find a good male. Right. And, uh, a buddy of mine had a, a sour grape that we, uh, he had popped these seeds from TGA that he got given. He, I went to college in Humboldt for a few years too. So, um, I we'll had, definitely get into that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, a, there's yeah. a whole lot. Right. So that story, but, um, the offering really is to try to like offer kind of an inclusive group of people, but also then still have like strange is that the headiest connoisseurs would be like i want that oz kush and i want that pink picasso or i want the you know the picasso gak or uh some of these newer strains we're putting out too right now like the agave uh the the blueberry the beyond blueberry 2.0 um our black orchid 2.0 um you know there's a lot of new stuff you know and then i like to bring back the old stuff too like this northern lights is a 33 year old cut that you know that's that, crazy that is that was the strain of strains in 95 96 like if you could get an even an ounce of that you know you were you had the best weed and that was four or five hundred even back then and then you know like we were talking about og kush came in and just kind of nobody wanted anything else but og kush like from 98 to like i'd say cookies 98 to cookies i like that that's what i would say really yeah, yeah. like burner and the cookies organization shout out to them uh and what they've done all the breeders around that whole organization and and their group like jiga sherbinsky yeah all of them you know powers Matt, up yep they all created great stuff at that time period that really opened up the market uh beyond just og kush right like because i was growing og kush for like 12 years and breeding for probably six of those years trying to introduce new strains but people just not having it like they were just all they wanted was og kush and 
jars like this, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. So that was the wave. That was the way, you know, for the longest time, you know. It reminds me, you're, it reminds me of a paintbrush and you have a palette of terps. Mm -hmm. So each strain represents a different color almost, right? Yeah. yeah. Figuratively and literally. Yep. And it's like, you almost get to try these different colors of the rainbow or color palette, right? Like you're painting. And that's what I love about your stuff is like grape, pineapple, orange. Oh, gas. Okay. Here's some gas. It's like, it, yeah. it's a very grower mentality to be like, I want the best of every flavor profile. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. trying to build like, cause I think you get used to one thing, right? And you want all these different varieties so you can change it up, have different effects. But really, like you're also trying to play in this recreational market and build this brand, and so the the offering that you're bringing to the community, I think, has to have variety to it. To that was our vision, you know, like, and it is definitely like I always envisioned, uh, like the elemental chart, right? Like of of all these strains and how when we would concentrate them and reduce them down into, you know sauce was just becoming a thing like man i think around like 2015 14 16 right around there i can't remember but uh you know separating diamonds and crashing the turps and doing that at a really high level uh and having these terpene profiles when you take a dab of something that tastes so strawberry or blueberry or pineapple those that is where i think a lot of the fruitier strains future exists in in vape pens mm -hmm. in concentrate forms right like the flower is amazing to just be able to look at it and say okay i can verify that this is actually like where it came from like i smoked this flower i smelled this flower the translation is legit from from a to b you know and and now it, it's like i all of these things start firing your mind about like what this could lead to when you start having you know like you know deep sessions and stony mm -hmm. thoughts that go on for for hours while you're sitting there going down the rabbit hole of, of terps, you know, like I truly believe that terps is the future of the cannabis industry. Like, you know, it, it's, it's a huge po portion of things, right? Yeah. Like, um, cannabis derived terpenes, right? Not the fruit or botanical or plant based or whatever, all that actual yeah, 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 from not, the perf flowers. not perfume mm -hmm. you know <laughs> not like window cleaners or whatever all these terps are right that are that aren't cannabis drive i think that uh i don't want to let the cat out of the bag but i just really feel like that's the that's the move like for the future like i have an idea but i just don't want to put it out till it's out <laughs> you know what i mean what's so. your opinion on people that are spraying artificial terps on finished flower I don't really like I've tried those uh infused pre-rolls that are like that right that were I think that's what you're alluding to right uh, no like packs of flour oh, that's awful it's big right now wow okay so if it's artificial fake, flavoring on packs of flour spraying it yeah that's awful like yeah for me no I, all those fake terps just give me headaches like and I, I think it's just a lie you know well, you're, what's you're, in do you know what what's like what's in that like it's, the, it's botanical terps it's for chemicals yeah, yeah it's, like, it's from like oranges and lemons yes. and other real fruits but we just don't smoke that we don't smoke for, we don't smoke lemons and oranges and pineapples and exactly. and all of these seems toxic well, yeah they're also artificial so they'll take a terpene like so pineapple even, yeah and then they'll say on the chart it's 
you know, 12 different boxes that are different levels, like a graph, right? And each one is a different terpene in that pineapple. And what they'll do is they'll say, okay, now replicate that artificially. Where you think it's a, because they originally take a pineapple terp. They, they do this with other things, but they'll take a pineapple terpene, right? Like and they'll air say, fresheners, all types but of they'll shit. They'll make a graph candy, out candy of, flavors. of 20 different terpenes, but they're all small portions, big portions, right? And then they'll take that graph and they'll artificially do it. Mimic it yeah. And then that's how they produce it at such a cheap cost. Because if you were actually deriving it from product, it's a, it's a process. That's a big same mm -hmm. with we talk about terpenes for flour. Like that process has still not been perfected. It's super expensive. Like well, basically, that's what I'm alluding to. Is mm -hmm. I'm not going to say what I'm going to do with it, but basically, my move in the in the next few years, and I'm working on it right now. It takes a few years to actually even execute what I'm trying to do. Yep. Is large scale cannabis terpene production, so that it's it's available for. For the guys who actually want to spray terps on their packs, but it actually be real terps. You know what I mean? Like, not fake that's terps. That's controversial. It yeah, is yeah, yeah. Like, add it to That's controversial uh, for the consumer. Add it yeah. to champagne, to food. I've seen companies mm -hmm. popping up and doing it, but champagne we haven't and even all shit, yeah. tapped the surface of what you could use actual cannabis terpenes for. Like, what if it has a medicinal value we haven't found? You know, it's like it there's a lot cool, of like a, like a fragrance, Dude. something like. I don't know different yeah. things. Everybody always wants to have like a Kush cologne or something yeah. like that, you know, something like yeah, that. Something Real nice Kush. though that smells like fresh, yeah, not smoked like fresh, yeah, a papaya. Be interesting, yeah. I don't you got a it. lot of cool stuff, man. Like your, your your whole your whole flavor and style is like where where you get your inspiration from. Like let's go, let's take it back to the beginning, like yeah. growing up and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, um, my mom. Uh, she was in the clothing industry. Uh, she worked at Bugle Boy and uh, like, Jordan. I used to be on my grandma likes to buy me Bugle Boy. Yeah, like sure. OP and all that kind of stuff. And so, like, I was just this young kid from the valley, you know. Um, and I was just a, always somehow around very creative people. And uh, you know, my parents had a, a very uh, successful catering company. They did a lot of like craft services and weddings and parties so they do events for like celebrities so i always saw like really dope shit you know like and uh whenever i just wanted to be creative and do things for myself i was like when it came time to do it i was like there was a lot of influence from all these different time periods you know like um like uh like these lighter chains like we did i think we only made like a maybe 200 of those and we we handed them out to like bud tenders and i think maybe we sold like maybe 20 or 30 of them online but we gave gave most of them away you know like um and that was the plan we didn't really try to like i've never been like a merchandising guy where i'm like oh we wonder brett rolling trays wonder brett this like wonder like we we like to make the shirts with the logos because we get hit up for a lot of people saying oh we like the hats and the shirts so we've done that a few times but realistically like I want someone to show up who's who's like I want to take this and run with it and make it my business because it's too much time like you can't I can't do everything with the team that I have like I need someone who's like I've done this before I've got these clothing deals done and I know exactly how to put these moves together let's let's just take your logos like we've done some collabs with like LRG that have been really successful um and stuff like that right so like That's I think a huge collab yeah, for me, honestly, like, uh, it was, it was such a like, um, 
I don't know, it just put such a huge smile on my face when I got that phone call. And they're like, hey, LRG wants to do a collab with your logos and at the grand opening of the store. And so we were like launching the grand opening of the, the Wonder Brett store on La Brea. Um, and we were launching that collab at the same time. So the shirts were available there. It was like all these things like lined up magically. And I kind of just feel very, I would say, the mood of my life uh, at this point in time is is uh, thankful and grateful. And uh, just mm-hmm. like, I have a lot of gratitude for a lot of the things that just, when I look back sometimes of the people that have given me opportunities, the people who believed in me, the people who opened up doors for me, all of these genetics that I was able to get gifted or just like find amazing seeds that came out of these seed packs that led to finding great males that led to these different varieties on the table now. Like, I don't know. I just, I look back and I'm like, I'm like, Oh yeah, we have done a a few things, you know, like I, I like to say like, thanks to, you know, like sublime, like the first collab I did with like sublime with Rome. Right. Like, um, that was dope. Like BJ Chicago kid, Russ, be real. Like just to be able to work with those dudes, like, it's an honor. It's a, it's just a blessing, you know, like sometimes I don't realize how lucky we are sometimes, you know, like mm-hmm. you get caught up in all of these daily problems and daily dramas. And sometimes you can't realize how uh, blessed you really have been, you know, so, ain't that the truth. So you just got to be grateful for everything. Like, and just so people know too, I mean, we got into your history, but your facility is off the chain and there's very few people that I've ever seen with like the irrigation you guys have the, the just the, you know, you look at the top 10% of guys out there and you know, you guys, when you look at the pictures of your facility, it's just mind blowing. Yeah. The facility. So just always out of like, you know, disclaimers and stuff so that I'm not trying to take ownership and that's not my facility. I don't own that facility. We started a very scrappy, small group. We funded this ourselves. We had a few friends and family that helped us pay for all the packaging to get to the scale and some staff, but we made a deal with that company that is it's called Walnut is the people that own that grow. Uh, we came in, uh, gave them some of our brand, a few points on the brand. They gave us access to the building and the ability to run the grow. So I spent the last three or four years really just like honing my skills at that scale which is different. Like I, it's not like I needed to learn anything different when I went in there. It's the difference is, is ex- executing, right? Like trying to, the way that design of that facility was and still is, is, is it's tough. You're taking down four or five harvests a week. It never stops. You're taking down 208 harvests a year. Like, so you taking down, it, it's like running and growing at a sprint. And so you're learning a lot at that speed of, of scale, but it's like, it never stops. And, you know, what I think the hardest thing wasn't like, uh, knowing, you know, what to set the temperature of the room or how to water or what to do. Like the growing aspect would already kind of been figured out before we went in there, but getting everything to work at that scale, getting the water rooms to really work, to get communication between your teams to work, like. When it's a different, when it's a hundred lights, you and a few of your guys can just communicate and and get it all done because you're all in tune. You're like, we're all cutting clones together, we're all deleafing together, we're harvesting this harvesting this room together. But once you're taking down, you're refilling rooms four times a week, cutting 
uh, clones four times a week. You're doing all these things four times a week. You have to like, it forces you to segment your team. And this segmentation then creates different departments. And then it creates communication issues and scale problems. And that I think has been the, the hardest thing to figure out overall. And I think we're in a really good place now, but it was like, you know, I think we ran, you know, more fat in the sense of like how many bodies we needed for at least two years. You know, like uh, when I went into the grow, they were told us like, oh, we'll have the water room all set up. I'm like, please, I'm like, just like, if you turn this grow on, and, and, which we, we got, it's so crazy. We get lucky in these weird ways, but we got uh, approved on 420 uh to be able to move plants in on 420 so we we're like oh we're moving plants in on 420 then you know like so we were moving clones in on that day and um of course there was no water system built and the way the building was turned on it was there's 36 rooms so you're turning on one room a day basically you're filling them up and then you're you know as they hit to size we vegged in place on that first launch because even the veg spaces weren't even built yet behind it and they were like oh we'll have all those trays put together by the time you go 18, 20 days in and you're watering like 600 plants by hand, you know, it's, it's taking the whole staff, you know what I mean? To do this hours of days, you know, like it was so inefficient on the launch, but the owners of the building and they were just like, we want to move fast. We want to move fast. We want to get out this product. So we were under a lot of pressure, yeah. you know, to perform and at that scale and, you know, maybe looking back i would i maybe would have put myself in a different position in a different way but i learned a lot and i really appreciate it still like it's it's been an amazing experience you know like the question is how do you get there right from from like him from brett growing up right and you're in, growing up in the valley like pat god's likes to bring it back yeah you know what? uh yeah yeah where's it all starting Skate, usually we're like, first time smoking weed <laughs> well uh i was a 80s baby really um so the dare program was strong and it worked i watched a lot of a team i lost i watched a lot of mammy vice and like everybody who was a drug dealer was the bad guy you know what i mean so it worked pretty good and then i found out my sister was smoking weed and i was really upset about it and then they kind of explained to me that weed wasn't the same kind of thing and then i found out uh, my mom was smoking weed too <laughs> and then so it was like it was in the family um and then i just kind of got curious at a certain point like when i was like 14 and just like when they weren't home i just like found my mom's weed and her like acrylic bong with the like graphics you know and the metal bowl with the like wax dripped around because the grommet was gone you know like to make a seal so it was like the most you know archaic of that time but like it was like you know early 90s for me right there and um once i smoked weed i just knew it was like for me it was like immediately the uh the sensors went off that i was like oh this is this is this is something i need in my life it was um i had like i've always had the uh add and uh dyslexia and and some of these things and they'd put me on some of those pills like ritalin it, and then when i smoked weed i was like i don't ever want to take any of those pills ever again so i've been kind of an anti-pill guy my whole life like you know only take like an aspirin if i'm dying or something or like if my teeth are killing me i can't do vicodin or any of that kind of stuff like it's just and nor do i want to i feel like 
they're selling you such poison, you know, like if it works that good, it's too good to be true. You got to be careful. What, uh, <laughs> what was mom smoking on? Boof or was it from oh, some fire? She actually, she spent money. They, they, she bought. So later on, as she, I, like the stories would come out, she would t- tell me she'd be buying like $500 ounces and because they had money back yeah. in the day in the garment industry and like her and her friends like would go on vacation. And I remember these vacations because my parents would leave town for like a week and go to like Cabo and leave me and my sister like to our own vices. She would throw parties. She's like seven years older. So that's where I was like all the older group of friends. That was how I kind of really tapped into weed because my sister's boyfriend, he had, he had amazing weed. And uh, that circle was the real like branch for me because I was like, I wanted to buy some weed. And uh, he was like, well, what do you want? Like an ounce or do you want like an eighth? And that was really like, okay, well, like, well an ounce. And he was like, well, that's going to be like 80 bucks and it's going to have seeds in it. It's not going to be that good. He's like, you could spend $60 though and get an eighth of this chocolate tie. And it, it was real chocolate tie. Supposedly, he told me that it was from his ex-girlfriend uh, that has having the shipments come from Thailand and land at her doorstep and they would get chocolate tie sticks. And this shit tasted like Hershey's chocolate. It was delicious, delicious. It was extremely potent. I miss the strain uh, desperately. I wish I could find that particular cut of chocolate tie. Um, I'm still looking for that. That's one of those ones that's on the list where you're like, I always ask people like, hey, you know, anybody's got a good chocolate tie cut? And they're like, no, because no one holds on to strains that, you know, run 11, 12 weeks. Somebody out there might have held on to it, man. Shout out to Thailand. If you guys got it, get my man bred up. Yeah. One of the best strains I ever smoked in the history of smoking. I, thousands of strains was a tie cross mm-hmm. to this day. We called it Tutti Fruity. Mm-hmm. We, that was its nickname. Yep, yep. And it was like, it looked like molded up weed. And then you smoked it. It wasn't though. It just had a weird color and weird look. And I mean, tie is so underrated. You don't hear a lot of people bring that up. It's cool. Yeah. Uh, that's what we came up with, right? Mm-hmm. There was tie bud. There was those types of things. So, um, around that circle and all like the community, like all the kids that I skateboarded with. And like, I went to Granada Hills high school in the Valley. So there was a lot of like, there was West Granada was all the fuck ups would go over there. Then you get kicked out of the regular school. Cause you miss too many days and they put you over here. And it's kind of like, all they're trying to do is just get you to get the basics to graduate high school over there. But that was most of my crowd of friends over there. And they were all had older brothers too that were like in the weed scene. So everybody had like a different plug. Like there was this one kid, Teddy and Danny, that lived up in like Porter Ranch, and they had a dope plug on some like uh, Hawaiian NL, and that was like amazing. It was like I remember seeing that for the first time, and the buds were just like fluorescent green, little knots just glowing, and uh, Hawaiian Northern Lights. Yeah, Hawaiian Damn. NL. And I, I think it came from we like need the, to bring back like those type of exotics. Like to yeah. me, that's exotic. Like yeah, I actually grew different. that one. We had a plug at, somewhere in the valley. I'm guessing because some of these strains you're naming, I'm like, dude, that was year two of me growing. Was a Hawaiian NL that we got a cut from the homie D. Yeah, and uh, he is connect. Yeah, it's. I mean, what I was about to say, lime green, neon green. Yeah, seriously. like surfer crippy green. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Like it looked like the color green on this the the doggy style album like glowing green bud like that right like so i was fortunate to be in high school like all of these around these other like 
skateboard kids and their older brothers, they all had like a dealer, somebody in the circle. And that's how I met uh, Matt DeSantis, who's from Redline Genetics. So he, uh, he had this, he's, he still has it, this yellow Chevelle, and he'd pull up Reseda Boulevard. And I was in like 10th grade. He's a little bit older. And uh, he had this strain called Grade A and Grade B. They were both phenomenal. The guy that grew them, grew them with tap water out in like Roseman, the desert. No newts. So the buds were like, uh, not big and developed at all, like kind of airy, but the bud was that type of bud though, that like, as soon as you put it in the, in the bag, it was stuck to the bag and you, you, even if you shook the bag upside down, it wouldn't fall out. Like you'd have to peel it off the, the inside of the bag. What do you think happened to buds like that? Why is there less sticky buds right now these days? I think, um, it just shifted the market, like cookies in gelato and sherb, those three strains really just took over in the pop culture within the music culture you know great job by those guys like branding and marketing with migos and and other groups that they they put that work into and made built those relationships and that just became like the sales move it was like you know it was just it's just like it was in in the early 2000s when people were trying to get og kush it was because OG Kush sold for more money than the next strain. And that's why OG Kush replaced and, and dis, not replaced, but displaced so many strains like Northern Lights, Skunk, Trainwreck, uh, these strains like the grade A and grade, grade A and grade B and, and these types of things. So um, that is where I think we lost a lot of things. OG Kush never, people never gave up on that though. Like there's just a crowd that loves that. But then you have cookies come and you have burner and that whole wave and that, that, that just took over. So everybody bred with that, including myself, because those are great strains. Like you can't fight that. Right. And then you have Skittles come around and you have a lot of Skittles crosses come around and, um, you know, that's how, you know, it's like, when dying breed dropped the ozk packs seed packs and you know i found the the gem of ozk like the cut that everybody wanted and still wants and i haven't let it out like and i debate that type of thought all the time like should i just give it out so i just do yeah. like a a clone drop and just give it out or should i just call up like 10 breeders and just be like hey bro just let's do a seed collab and let's do one with you know and shout out to compound like like all these breeders like Shout out to all of these guys, you know what I mean? Uh, like our Grapes of Wrath, like I found that in, you know, one of his seed packs when he was just dropping those seeds uh, at Emerald Cup when it was still like, you know, Emerald Cup was the Emerald Cup. Like, you know, when you'd show up and it would be like all of the seed companies, Skittles had a line that was, you know, 100 deep, you know, yeah. like. Uh, I'm glad we got to we got to go to a few of those experience yeah. that in your life because yeah. it'll never be like that again uh, yeah. attention rowers hustlers trappers and yes even you the cappers the right carbon filter can possibly save your life grow generation i ran out of vacuum seal bags it's a sunday i need the single-sided or the double-sided all black grow generation oh that last mom can't get transplanted because she needs cocoa and you ran out of bags grow generation in store or online let them know first smoke 10. 
That's the code to get you hooked up. First smoke of the day sent you, first smoke 10, Grow Generation. Yo, what up, it's Blackleaf. I'm here at Grow Generation, and guess what? Drip Hydro storming the market. All the best growers I know are switching to it. And guess what, there's a reason, because it's preserving terps. I keep hearing that, preserving terps. And that's why we're here with Sunshine, facility advisor, facility manager, overall the man with Drip Hydro. Listen to why it's different, man. What's going on, guys? Sunny here with Drip Hydro. Thing is, at the end of the day, we just wanted to make a simple, clean, cost-effective nutrient line that nobody has really seen on the market right now. Nobody uses really our chelation formulas, uh, the micronutrients that we have pulled to make this line is really just what makes it overall bringing that consistency and quality back to what we want to see in growing herb again and overall at the end of the day it's still really light on your wallet it's a five-part nutrient line and again if you're not staying sterile or you have a big facility and you don't want to run rock wool and you want to run a mix of cocoa with an enzyme or something you don't even have to run flow with it so at the end of the day it's just saving you money on your wallet while bringing the consistency and the quality of terps back we wanted to bring the terps back and bring the soul back to grow versatility cost effective and quality i mean what else can you ask for drip hydro first smoke of the day black leaf approved peace Trays is where we get our merch done. Shout out to Mood Trays, man. Moodtrays.com, FSOTD. This is where you're seeing all the gear, the custom die cut rolling trays, the ash trays. These things are impeccable. They do an amazing job. Quick turnaround speeds, low minimums on the orders as well. Any of you up and coming brands, no orders too small, go to Moodtrays.com, use our code. You're going to save more money and they're really going to take care of you. They're going to know you're part of the family. Shout out to Mood Trays, man, and uh, let's get it. It was like the farmer's market yep. of all the best people that had lived in Cali or from Cali and or had global, moved out here. Global attendance. And then, you know? yeah, global attendance. Yep. And collabs that span even globally, like some of the seed collabs, the strains used. I mean, CSI Humboldt, there's so yep. many guys that put in so much work. They would work all year for that to be like, I can't wait to, because they also know that some of the best growers out there are going to come and now they can get their gear to, to them. But growing up in the valley, smoking weed is just like another thing, right? I mean, you think coming from Cali in those days, it's just like everybody's growing and smoking. Yeah, I thought that was the case. And then I had relatives that would be looking down on me heavy. I had to keep, I had living two lives for a long time, you know, like, um, you know, I spent a lot of time in the studios making music. So that was kind of my... um my public life right and then the the private life was the growing life and selling weed and, and uh they they over they, they crossed over each other because of music and and i love music so much and i like just being around creative people and it's just so inspiring and you sit in a room and you get to hear people like um you know dr dre talk for an hour or uh you know other producers around him like fred Reck and um you know scott storch and mike elizondo and melman and all these guys that made my favorite music 
you'd hear these conversations and their ideas and you could just soak up so much game being around a lot of people. Shout out to Exhibit. He's the one who really brought me into that crowd at that time. Um, and at, like in 99 when they were making Chronic 2001 and um, it's like I was just kind of making my name at that point in time around like guys like Be Real and Kenji and um, and Be Real you know he rapped about the he's the he's the godfather in my eyes like he is the modern day uh you know and i, I wouldn't i wouldn't say maybe nothing he he just basically he when he rapped about og kush and his songs cypress hill was the biggest band and it still is one of the biggest bands globally like uh he's just done a lot like he's one of the first guys that i've seen ever like just being like i'm going up on stage with a a one ounce joint or two ounce joint in at ucla college and or wherever they're at in texas like where you could go to jail for real and he was a real activist so i think he brought a lot of conversation to the game like when he would talk about weed on howard stern show and all this kind of stuff and it just it became he made kush the most sought after strain as as much as it 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 deserved to be the most sought after strain for as long as it was and still is in certain you know communities right but uh he really set that off right and at that time is that that was a, a crucial time for me to like develop these relationships and and kind of just get let into these rooms and have all these doors open up and people kind of uh praise me and give me reaffirmation for the hard work that i put into this weed and and i, I just loved uh being able to show up with great weed and to sit in the room and then watch these guys make music or whatever it was and just kind of sit back, you know, because I was a musician as well, but I was like, I'm not going to bring that up because, you know, you just have to kind of play it cool in these worlds. Like, you know, and then somebody maybe one day might ask you, like, if you play an instrument and then, then you speak up. But in that world, like you kind of just wait till someone really asks you a question. People are at that level. They don't want to be, sold anything they don't want to be pitched anything they just want to be treated like a normal person and, and and not have their their vibe all messed up by somebody who's in there trying to push something on them you know how do you get into that phase so you get into cultivation right yeah and you start cultivating how does it transition into music in these different circles like that because most people you know you you kind of stay in you're, you're growing you're Mm -hmm. kind of building your name or at least your entity of like you know people start to know like this dude's got the fire yeah i'd already just from being in in la and just always being like a weed head even in high school like i was buying weed and, and flipping you know small amounts because i couldn't afford to smoke as much as i wanted to so you're always trying to like have more weed like it was hard to get good weed at that time so you would you know you'd buy like a quarter pound of some like you know stress and then you know get it for 50 dollars an ounce and try to sell it for 100 an ounce or something and so that's that cycle there uh led into like me just wanting to go to humble at college right and just being like immersing myself more in the weed world because that's where all the best weed was coming from so what do your parents say when you're like i'm gonna go to humble university my parents were we were going through a lot of struggle at that time so um my parents you know they they were very successful at one point 
and then they'd trust the wrong person and put they kind of retired and put all their money into this oil investment that went bad and it was uh it really devastated our family like my life trajectory completely changed like i probably wouldn't even be in this seat if it wasn't for like that you know uh like trauma or you know terrible situation that happened to our family right like we lost our house we went through all types of bad situations so that but that type of adversity though and struggle like it led me to where i am today right like and, and that kind of i think made my who i am my character like the ability to be resilient and you know take an l and get back up again and go again and throw yourself out there into the world to be judged with your weed or judged with your music or judged with your art or get up on a stage and talk for 20 minutes and in front of 100 people or more or something and um like you're just putting yourself out there and to be judged and um i'm just trying to you know basically get my message out there about what i believe in and how i want to do things and what i'm trying to create and and just try to do it in a, a classy way a humble way i i don't know how to uh be like a, a hype man all the way you know it's not really my skill set like <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, taking those risks and, and tying this all back into the answer to the question is really is like, after taking all those risks of going to Humboldt and back and, and, you know, going and bringing quarter pounds or a pound down from Humboldt, you know, and, and selling it to friends and, and getting in the business and then starting to see a few grows and then, um, really just, uh, somebody introduced me to, um, the Kush, right? So I didn't know in 97, late 97, 98, around there. I didn't know about Kush at that point. But uh, in the Valley, stoners are very similar with their habits. They show up at sushi bars in the middle of the day, you know, <laughs> and, and they all look kind of alike and smell alike. And so I show up at the sushi bar and um, this guy, Mike, was there. Uh, shout out to Mike for whatever he's doing right now. He kind of fell off. I haven't seen him in a long, long time. You know, Mike, um, make sure you hit, hit up Brett. Yeah. Don't yeah. be, be scared, man. You come see this, come man. say hi. We'll clip this up. Yeah. So he really, he was sitting next to me or a few seats over at the sushi bar. And he's like, bro, you smell incredible. And he's like, I'm all out of weed. And he's like, can you please bless me or hook me up? He's like, I'll, I'll bless you with some shit that I get in like a week from now. This shit's called Kush Bubba. And he said, it's, it's, it's like, it's amazing. I'm like, Kush Bub, I've never heard of that. And I'm like, I'm really intrigued because that name sounds interesting as fuck. So. Um, I like it that way better than Bubba Kush, actually. That's how I always do is Kush Bubba, right? That was how I was always, we were always, it was Kush Bubba. Then it was uh, Pure Kush. And then Pure Kush had to be called OG Kush after a while because people started calling so many different varieties of Kush something, right? So. Um, I just never heard of no ocean grown, none of that uh, sound. None, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, that risk, right? To, to get to that place, right? It was, I'd never really been scared to, to ask for something and have somebody say no. It's like, what's the worst that can happen? You can say no, right? So I, by chance, you know, uh, this is after I'm growing Kush for about six, seven months and I've had my first. Like my, probably like my third harvest at that point. And uh, was probably my second harvest, really, because it, veg times were slow. I was growing in an apartment. 
Like we can get into that, you know. <laughs> so you start you started with growing OG. Yeah, I started with growing That's OG. Dope. So I jumped into the like <laughs> I got thrown into the to the fire with the best strain but I knew what was given to me was the best because as I led up through that story with Mike and he shows me Kush Bubba like a week or two later, um called me. I thought he'd never call. I was like, yeah, I probably never call me. But he calls me and he's like, Yo, I got some of this Kush Bubba I want to show you. And uh, so we started to hang out more and that Kush Bubba was fire. I was like, as soon as you lit in the air, it was like, it smelled like a Santana rock concert from like when I was a kid. I was like, what is that fire ass smell? Like it, there's a very distinct smell for Kush Bubba in the air. So um, we're smoking that for about a month. And then he's like, yo, he's like, we got to get the OG cut or not the OG cut, but the OG Kush. No, pure Kush. Cause we weren't talking about his OG then call it pure Kush back then. And I was like, pure Kush. And I'm like, he's like, yeah, that's the one that they crossed to make this Kush Bubba. And I'm like, well, where is it? And I'm, I've already, mind you, I've driven to Humboldt straight through and back multiple times in my life at this point, like for three years straight. Right. So he's like, oh, we just got to go to the Bay and see my boy Ian. And Ian was friends with Josh D and I just didn't know Josh D at that time, but that was their circle up there. So I went up to the Bay and we would just clear out Ian every time that he would harvest and he had a little grow a four lighter in an apartment um as well up there and he would take down these small harvests and i would just buy everything and basically he after like the third or fourth time going up there he was like listen he's like all my friends are kind of like pissed because you keep buying everything because he was selling it for 300 dollars. i just like all for 400 so he at first he was like yeah for sure but then like after a few harvests in a row nobody around him was getting any more personal ounces or weed for around them. So he's like, listen, you need to grow it yourself. And I was like, well, can I have the cut? And he was like, yeah. So he went in the room, cut me like five cuts, put it in a Ziploc bag with a little bit of water and said, okay, you need to learn how to grow. And I was like, well, uh, what do I need? And he's like, you can use these or you can use these. And then what he was talking about was, um, there was basically only two nudes on the line at the time. There was general hydro and A and B, the uh, SVB, A and B, the red and green buckets, right? Like if the guys that know that. Um, and it was like, well, one has three parts, one has two parts. I was like, well, I don't know shit. So I'm just going with the simpler one. He's like, you need a pH meter, keep it at six. So, and that was basically it. It was just A and B and a pH meter. And he was like, you need to get a light. And I was like, okay. So I went and got a light and uh, I brought these clones down with me. So like the very next day I went and browned it up all this shit that I needed. And there was only like one hydro store on Reseda Boulevard at that time, um, which I think it was called, I can't believe I can't think of it, Easy Green maybe or something like that um, in the Valley. And then, um, so I had no place to grow though because I was living at home, but my dad above his catering office and his catering business, he had this office up there that he wouldn't really go up to very often. So I went and blocked the light out up there. I hung the light. I put it in, uh, I rooted these clones. I called my buddy, uh, uh, from Redline, which wasn't Redline, it was just Matt back then. We got the yellow Chevelle. He was the only one I knew who remotely knew anything about growing at that point, besides some dudes in Humble. They were all soil growers. So he was like, "You need to cut, you know, the clones with this Hormex powder. Uh, dunk the, you know, the clones and the the cubes and put them under this fluorescence and dome them for like two weeks and they'll root." I was like, "Okay, cool." <laughs> <laughs> so like three of them rooted and i still remember how skinny the stems were he gave me like bottom cuts like because they were real skinny straws mm -hmm. on them but i remember what they still looked like when they rooted and um 
So once they rooted, I put them in soil. I knew nothing about soil. Uh, and I basically, after like a month of growing them, getting about two feet tall. Um, <laughs> so it, it, growing soil in this office, right? <laughs> like there's a bathroom down the hallway. It's the only source for water and a toilet. So basically like I have to sneak into this office late at night and go upstairs and like bring like five gallon jugs and water this thing and try to make like little batches of food and shit in there with A and B all just super janky style. Um, so many mistakes I can think about right now that they're in that time period, but <laughs> I eventually toxified the soil, but like, so I had to like drag this thing over the toilet and run a gang of water through it just to detoxify the soil. So I learned that like, okay, nutrients, you, you really don't need to water with nutrients every single time you make food with soil. You know, you can do it once a week and be fine, you know, <laughs> like, so I made so many mistakes in that process. My dad eventually comes in and sees, goes up there, like, what the fuck is this? You know, and I'm like, oh shit, okay. So I had a little bit of money saved up. I was able to get an apartment in Valencia and uh, I moved into this two bedroom apartment and then I got it working. I was able to cut the clones again myself and get a room going. And my first harvest came down amazing. Like the weed was incredible. I got just enough guidance to get through it from up north from the guys from Ian and my buddy Matt, right? And uh, from there, I was just like in love with growing, like sitting there just uh, dedicated from that point on, just hunting strains, growing, trying to figure out how to grow. And, and then once I was at that point, I had that weed and I had fire, people around me, my buddy, my buddy Matt, he... He would help, uh, you know, get people around that would want to buy it. And I knew a bunch of stoners already because I was already selling weed all over the place. And um, then I run into exhibit at Tower Records. And he's just right in front of me and the line buying CDs. And I just, it's like, yo, man, I'm a big fan of your music. And uh, I have some fire ass Kush in this car. And he's like, what's Kush? So I gave him this jar of Kush with my phone number. And uh, that day he was going to the set to film this video called, uh, this song called uh year 2000 so he was just coming up it was 1999 and they were making Cron 2001 this song called the year 2000 eminem's album all of this magical incredible stuff was happening in the san fernando valley at dr dre studio just no one really knew it right off ventura boulevard in sherman oaks so uh, he calls me and he's like yo this is fire pull up bring some more ounces and that was kind of how I got into that world, right? So it was like high school transition, family having terrible calamity, uh, me getting blessed with Kush and kind of having this role res reversal with my family where like I started generating all the money from weed to pay for our whole family because everything was so bad, right? And then we, we slowly rebuilt the catering company again. Um, but my dad got sick. He had a heart attack. He just couldn't redo it again. So it was like, at a certain point, I ended up having, you know, reached, uh, you know, having a few different houses. And I was like, my dad was living in one of them and he was watering plants for me. And I taught him how to grow, but he just didn't understand the nuances of some of the importances of certain things. Like when I say water at 10 a.m. means you should water at 10 a.m. And if I show up at 11 and you're still like, I'm going to get to that in 20 minutes, you know, because you were doing laundry or whatever that you just don't realize the importance of it. So 
we would butt heads sometimes and family businesses butt heads. Um, so eventually he just kind of went to Florida and relaxed in West Palm beach and chilled. And I would just, uh, send him a little bit of money here and there to, to help them out and stuff like that. But that was, that was, uh, just part of the, all the struggle to get to where you, you realize, you know, what you want to do in life at some point. Right. Like, and I just knew it was weed. I was always looking for something else to do. I was like, well, if this weed doesn't work out, like, because it was, there was no legal opportunities at the time, not really, um, until Colorado went legal. So then things really, things really changed. That's when I was like, I really want to make a brand, you know, but California was still behind a few years and you're like, come on, like, how are we behind? Like, how's Colorado first? Like, and we're still three years dragging our feet and then, you know, it eventually happens. It's the same what they're doing with lounges out here right now. I mean, we've we've been everyone's been paying taxes. We got Prop sixty four. It's been in full motion. Everyone's been you know getting licenses, and let alone there's like two lounges open. You know, it's crazy. It's yeah. Crazy. Well, the lounge the lounge model doesn't make any money. Mm. So that's like there's nobody really trying to rush to open them. You know, like it's very the business model doesn't work right in the way they've done it so far. Right? Like you know, you've seen a lot of lounges. I don't know, just they're always trying to charge for entry. They're trying to charge to use the rigs. They're trying to do all this kind of stuff. They want to charge a membership fee or something so you can use all this stuff. They need to come up with something better. You know what I mean? They can make money off, but provide a space where stoners can just pull up like this with your rigs, with your weed and just start rolling and not be getting like taxed like you're at Disneyland because we can just do this at home. You know what I mean? And, and be happy or wherever we've been doing it. When 100%. Exhibit smokes that first OG Kush, is he like, bro, what's up? Like, c come over here. Like, we need to know each other. Yeah. Yeah. That was, um, you know, I got to, I really got to give a lot of props to Exhibit because he's been a great friend for a long time. And uh, when I entered his life, he really like treated me like a very special person. And I knew at first it was because of the weed and stuff like that. I felt like, you know, but it, it was, it was much more than that over time, you know, like I could just see the genuine person, the, how he looked out for me when like he couldn't find me for like a, like 30 minutes on a set or something, he would like send his security to go look for me. And I would just be like, Oh, I was in, uh, you know, this other trailer talking to these other guys, you know, but if he didn't see me for a period of time, he'd be like wondering where I was and just make sure that I was okay. So he always looked out for me when we were out in the, the street or at a, a studio or a, a video shoot or something like that. And I got to see a lot of dope video shoots like the next episode and um, some of his videos. And I don't know, it was just dope that I was just, I didn't realize how big of a wave that music was i was like oh this is dope because i was listening to that point really like their earlier dr dre stuff never heard of eminem at that point exhibit was like a new and upcoming rapper he would i'd seen him like at these underground shows uh like uh with the alcoholics and stuff like that when he would perform when he was just coming up and then he um his voice was so distinct and his lyrical uh, content is is very good and uh i don't know i just connected with him and we we had a lot of good times together we still do we uh we did a collab with his napalm brand 
like for this Thanksgiving thing. And we went out to the desert and like, he's all into guns and the military shit. So he comes from a military family and uh, he blew up this Turkey. It was like, we were out in the middle of the desert. It was crazy. Like I thought the windows were going to blow out on my car. Uh, I was like, I'm not going to be anywhere near that when that thing goes off. And, uh, you know, we, we had a lot of fun making this like little video where we were walking and like bumping and pushing into each other, trying to like get in front of the camera first, just having a good time. And, uh, I really cherish that type of situation. Like from being that it's 2023 and I met him 24 years ago. And, uh, he was young, I was young and now we're still just like having fun and making this video and like supporting each other. Um, it's cool. I just, I'm just, like I said, grateful. That's dope. Mm-hmm. That's like, I mean, really dope stuff. It's especially cause like you're growing up in LA. So, you know, the Valley and, and all these things are taking place and just, it's just cool that uh you got brought into it that way because like anybody growing weed or like having weed at that time that was like their like one of the biggest things you could do is like yo hook up somebody like you know yeah. big into music big into anything mm-hmm. kind of like if yeah, you had a rich athlete, neighbor yeah, you hooked yeah. up your rich neighbor you were <laughs> totally. like yo i'm you know me and that dude, you know like <laughs> no, just how, no so it's like special over here. Here. you yeah. got exhibits like yeah. that's fire as fuck and then he's like yo come come to this video shoot it's the next episode yeah everybody's like that's crazy i could almost say his whole biggest video out yeah yeah it's nuts it was so one of the regrets i have during that time period they invited me to go on the up and smoke tour and it was like i got to go to the first show with it they launched it because it was local but i could have went on tour and been on the bus but i was like i gotta take stay home and take care of the plants like there's no other person that's gonna Life run the grow. grower bro not yeah. many will understand yeah that's, you get it no yeah. but it is like that where <laughs> you know what are you gonna do that's also you also have to be like well this is why i'm here too though yeah. right like at that time you're like this puts me at the table so yeah. i do have to make sure that i don't forget that mm-hmm next thing you know you're on stage rapping and sh- you know what I'm nah, i have <laughs> no plans uh, i've been a crazy experience i'm sure yeah, it would have been because those that time period was just different there was no digital like no. you were going to the concert when that totally. shit came through that's yeah. you were getting the cd or what you know like, no, it was epic you had dog pound snoop dre nwa came, got back together for the first time you had eminem exhibit nate, nate dog uh you know corrupt daz like all of these incredible people on that tour and i was so wanted to go on that tour um and then when i saw the videos of the like the crazy mayhem i was like man i wish i would have went but honestly i i had just gotten like uh you know my first grow house at that point i moved out of this apartment because i basically destroyed that apartment and I'm for hope the statute of limitations is <laughs> 24 years deep. It, it expired on that one, but like my landlord's probably deceased, man. You're good. Dude, it was, <laughs> it was literally like, it, uh, you know, the flood, it was the flood. And I was in a two, I was on the second story in an apartment and I just got a new pump. It was like more powerful than the last one. And they, uh, it just shot the hose right off of it when I wasn't paying attention. I like walked out of the room and I was filling the reservoir and it just flooded this whole thing with like 60 gallons of water. And that was enough to make a sheet of drywall drop out into my neighbors below. Whoa. Right into their like apartment. 
right? So uh, that was the end of that two bedroom apartment. And uh, I was lucky to get everything out of there to move out and um, come they're out like, of that. They're like, what happened? Yeah, yeah you, so you get I, a knock and you're like, the damn shower. Oh, uh, this, oh, so check this out. This is, this, is, this is where the universe is has saved me in some weird way a few times, right? Like in these weird situations. So when this is happening, it was like a crazy rainstorm for like a week or two, like kind of like how we've been having now, right? And on the second story, the stairs in the patio that I had in the front, it was kind of warped and not perfect. So it would hold a lot of water. So like every stair would be like a puddle going up it. And when you get to the top, you would have to like almost jump five feet to get to my door because there's so much water, unless you wanted to ruin your shoes and just go in like an inch or two of water. So I was able to blame it on this leak somewhere from up in here. But I was like, I'm just out of here. I got to, I'm done with this, you know, like, but I was like, oh, thank God. Like, cause I was seriously moving out plants, equipment, everything in the middle of the night, you know, like when that sheet of drywall dropped, I was like, oh, I'm done. Like they're going to be up in here inspecting stuff and like, you know, the next 24 hours for uh -huh. sure. So I was just like unloading everything. And I just got in the grow house in Lancaster at that point. And, um, cause that was all I could afford back in the day, getting houses, like going that transition was hard. Like I didn't have credit or, you know, so you had to find a landlord and a big enough piece of property that had like a 200 or 400 amp panel and try to create the right amount of electric electricity in a room. And, you normally put it in the master bedroom because it was the biggest room and you're like, okay, we're going to put eight or 10 lights in here and try to make it work. And that was the, uh, that was the beginning, you know, of like, that's the hustle. It's what yeah. the Valley's known for too, though. Like the, when at that time, yeah. like the California, like the Valley in LA, that's like the Mecca for a lot of shit like that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Th there's a lot of funny stories about that aspect of the Valley with rental houses because there were so few rental houses, but there was like this crew of growers like myself and a few other guys like Kenji and, and Redline and uh, a few other guys too that were out there um, that were in, in the, that had like, you know, we all had two or three grow houses. So when a rental house would pop up in the Valley, like <laughs> we would all see each other like at the opening and I'd be like, come on, man. I'm like, like you got the last one, like this one's good, dude. Like I'll take this one. You get the next one, you know, like damn, you get all funny as fuck. you're like, damn Kenji and you got a family and shit. So you're definitely going to get it. They're always looking for a family instead of a single so, like, guy. You're like, that's hilarious. Yeah. We had to like, that was just a small <laughs> pond. And that's when you realize you had to get out of the valleys in a little bit and, and, uh, try different things. And, you know, and then kind of the warehouse game popped up and people started doing big warehouses. And I was like, what? Like, how are they getting away with these warehouses? And sure enough, people got away with warehouses for a long time. Like we ended up eventually getting, you know, rid of all the houses and just going into to one single warehouse. And that was what we had when we transitioned to the, in 2008, you know, like uh, 2018. Oh, okay. Yeah. Damn. So ran that warehouse into the situation now. Yeah. Wow. A, that's how we built the, the brand was really started from uh, the house that I was growing with my dad. Right. So. I, um, this, this, um, attorney, Eric Shevin, he calls me and he's like, Hey, these guys in Colorado are looking for a grower. And, and I, I you know, you always have, uh, you know, good products. And, um, and I, I, I always, when people ask for a grower, he kind of gives them my name a lot of times and maybe a few other people are in that list, right. For consulting or so these guys from Colorado fly me out to Colorado. And this is right when it went legal. And they had this like pet 
uh, clinic that they had bought and they got a license and they were converting like, there was all these like concrete bays where the dog kennels used to be. And I was just like, I can't do this, man. I'm like, it's like snowing outside. This thing's like subterranean. Like, like you guys don't know what you're asking for. You know, I'm like, I can't even tell you how to, to get this to where it needs to be, to where like an inspector is going to walk in here and do this, like, and, and sign off on this, say this is good for fire code and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, my skill set is on how to feed the plant, uh, identify unique genetics, breeding, plant health, uh, you know, post processes that are, that are preserved the quality of the genetics so we don't lose the terps. Um, and, that's that's what i really good i'm not a mechanically inclined guy like i can you know put together something from ikea but i've never sat under the hood of a car and been like let me tinker around and put this carburetor in and you know i just haven't been that kind of guy like so i had a whole team of people around me that you had to build to support that self like when you're back in that day you needed to find a homie that was a great electrician you need to find a homie that was great at ac work and you need to find another dude who was good at carpentry and then you'd be able to go into houses and get like kind of like clean home grow setups, which I thought were like pretty tech for what we had done at the time. Like, <clears throat> and God knows all the trouble we had to go through at grow houses. I mean, the 2004 to 2008, like real estate, uh, like climb and bubble, like people were doing so many refis. That's I had to take houses apart because they were like, I'm sending an inspector in to, to refine, you know, to evaluate the house again and give us, they were going to take out another hundred thousand loan to go buy some other house or whatever the owners were doing. But we had to like put together houses back together within like, you know, a few days. So you had teams that we would just literally, you got holes in the ceiling, you're patching drywall, you've got the carpets already out of the house. You're like, you're putting new carpet back in. I would be having walkthroughs with the owners and the, and the like adjusters or whatever. And they'd be like, looking around me like this is better than what we gave it to you as you know we would do crazy shit like that too like put in like a brand new vinyl fence on the one side just to make the neighbors stoked on the other side you know like pay for some extra gardening in the front you know so the other neighbors are stoked so you don't just look like you know young kids with raised up trucks and motorcycles and quads like and, and i mean i thought we were slick but as you get Looking older, back, yeah. <laughs> you're like, yo. Yeah, it's almost like we were wearing a uniform, like how rappers wear uniforms now. Like you got to have the Louis belt. You got to have the Gucci this or the. What was the uniform? The uniform, it, it's still the same uniform. <laughs> it's still the same uniform. It's lifted trucks, right? Like it's toys for like young dudes, like people who work a real job. Like they're looking over going like, yo, you got a boat now? Like you got a motorcycle yeah. and you got a lifted, pretty good. Yeah. You got, you know, you're just living the life and they're boat? like, I just, I don't <laughs> see this dude even leave his house before 10 AM ever. You know what I mean? And they're out all night and you're partying and you're just, you know what I mean? Like that was one scene. And then you had, you know, I bring up Matt from Redline a few times because he was such a close friend of mine and still is to this day. And we support each other. We pass back genetics and breeding projects back and forth. And, Part of his menu on Redline is some of the mails that I gave him that he helped create what he has and some of the stuff that I have on my line, he's passed back to me that's back in my line. And he was the wild one in my group. Like I was reserved and tame and I was like, 
the I almost consider myself like the photographer in the corner, the way I live my life. Like everybody else is partying, and I'm just kind of like there as this observer, right? In some way, because he was a DJ at a strip club. So he was living the life. He had two girlfriends. He worked at the Spearmint Rhino. Fuck yeah. He was like top DJ. <laughs> he would he knew all the club owners in LA. So we'd be sitting right next to Paris Hilton or Britney Spears or Justin Timberlake or and partying with all these celebrities. And it was because of him and it was his charisma and his energy. It wasn't because of of me. You know what I mean? Like I was off with these other group with these rappers in a different like private way that I kept very low key because you just didn't even want to really talk about it because you didn't want to burn yourself from your own spot and be like, Oh, this dude's out here bragging about hanging out with these guys. And it got back. And like, so I just, you just tread lightly when you're in these, you know, places, you don't really want to uh, blow up your own situation. So. Um, Huge shout out to Ian and Matt. Yeah, I did. Matt, Two guys in your dude. life that didn't have to step in like that and give you any assist. And really, that's dope, bro. Just giving you cuts at a time like that. Yeah. And then the other guy to be like, all right, 6.0 pH. Make sure you do that. Like, just that. Just man. the basics. Yeah. It was, like, it was like 24 lights. He's like, you can do 24 hour lighting or you can do 18 hour. And I was like, he's like, 24 hour just keeps it in veg a little faster and this and that. And we ran 24 hour for a long time till we realized it just wasn't necessary. We're just wasting energy. But, but that was just how we went, you know? But you're, so you're with Matt and you're in the club and you guys, he's also a grower. Yeah. You guys are blowing fire down. Yeah. We What's were, that like now in LA at that time? <clears throat> we were, we, we had rock star treatment. Like we, he had all the plugs. So there was a line outside of the, the club, like we would walk up and they would just move the rope and we'd get a bottle and a table. And it was like, it was at a, a, a real cool level that to be at for that age. and. And just, I don't know. And just, I look back at it and I just, I got, I don't even, and I, I'm like, if that was really my life, that's crazy. I can't even, it, I feel like a different person now because, you know, um, you know, I'm married, I have kids. I've been married for, you know, 18 years. Uh, I got a 12 year old daughter. I got a 16 year old daughter. I don't really, I don't think I've ever mentioned them ever in an interview or anything like that. Cause I kind of keep my life private, <clears throat> but you What's know, that like? How do you balance that? That's the craziest part. It's like it's like living these two lives. Like one day you might catch me at the the church on Sunday with my kids, uh, it like just like watching them do a play or something like that. Or the next day you catch me like yesterday at network, just like having this huge sesh with a sesh with like twenty people smoking joints and um, just coming across all these OGs and uh, different brands and people that you see like. That's, I love the community. Uh, I love to see people win. I want to see everybody be successful. It's a really hard time in California right now. I, it's, it's hard for brands to make money. It's hard for my brand to make money. Um, thank God that we have a few out of state deals. Um, and we just, we just trying to make it. So it's like, we were at a point where we were like selling like almost 800 pounds a month at our peak. And now I'm just like, you know what? there's all these stores that don't pay their bills. So there's massive AR problems. So it's like, if you want to maintain those numbers, you're basically going to be giving away a lot of weed and you can't yep. finance that and you can't afford that. So basically we decided that we're just going to go scale back to the top 100 stores that pay all their bills and only be in those stores. So if you're wondering like, Hey, I used to get wonder bread at this store and it's not at this store anymore. Well, it's probably because those dudes didn't pay their bills. 
right? So uh, we're at a lot of stores. Those the the uh, chains, uh, the accounts we work with. Some of them are like, you know, chains that have you know fifteen, sixteen locations. Some of them have two stores. It's just about who really is running their business the right way, because, you know. I was in the street for a long time. And when I went into this brand and I committed to this with the group of people and family, I committed to building a brand that would be a recreational brand that would be uh, something we could really be proud about. Um, I want this brand to be like a hundred year brand, like Bacardi. Like I want to make it through this phase and, and putting energy into the street and it takes away from the energy of this. Not that like, no knock in the street dude like i live in the street i built myself from that street but once you do this and then you you commit yourself all in to this one thing that's just how i am i'm just committed to this and when we built this brand it was with these boxes with these jars like that was meant for a long-term vision you know like there was no need to do this at the time that i did it when i did this they were selling pill bottles that popped open you know little white caps yeah. yeah, you know, and bags didn't even exist at the time in the market, really. Like, like bags started to come into play at that time because edibles. People started to put like artwork on edibles. There was no branding for for brand, for cannabis, and like I was selling my OG packs to the stores, and it was pissing me off. I'd go in there, they'd rename it this, rename it that, and I I would go store hopping, going to different stores around the valley, Santa Monica, driving all over the place because. I don't mind driving. I'll drive 20 hours to go get some good weed. Like if it's a whisper of something special and you're like, oh, we have to go drive to go get the original, uh, you know, Durban poison. that's like black and came from Africa and it's the highest psychedelic. And you're like, really? Like it's going to make me hallucinate. Oh, let's go. You know, like I'll yeah. drive the journey and the mission, you know, double. Um, so the, the brand has been, you know, in the inception of like, something that was supposed to last the test of time. Like, um, and, and so we made it harder on ourselves in certain ways coming out the way we did it and trying to maintain it this way and grow it this way. Um, and, and stay in our own lane and, and not like, you know, monkey see monkey do like, that's what, that's what's working. That's the hot strain. Like, let's grow that. Like, like sticking to our integrity of what we think, you know, and what we want to offer to the group. Cause, if we just did that, it would like, you know, everybody would just have the same exact shit all the time. So I like the variety. I like to smoke this, you know, this blueberry joint and then smoke that agave joint and then go to the next one and hope that somebody shows up with something that's like I've never seen before, a jar that makes me want to go, hey man, like I need your number. Like I got I gotta get an ounce of this. Like that to me is the ultimate sign of when you want to buy the weed that someone shows you like that. You're like, that's when you're like, okay, I'm connecting. Like, I'm, this is what people want. Like when I would show up with like pink Picasso jars and like, you know, shout out to guys like, um, you know, Bobby Trill that, you know, that, uh, help promote and, and, and get some of that weed out to certain places and stuff like that for us with OZ Kush and pink Picasso and orange sunset and, before we transitioned, you know, completely into the, um, the recreational space with the license to everything. But that, that's the goal is, is just to really be a brand that can live forever. Like, um, 
what do you think are some of the keys to make it past this time that we're in right now? Deep pockets. Deep up. <laughs> like, that's a tough answer. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, right now in this economy, that's, a, that's like are, cash is king. Like if you've got a little bit of uh, money saved and you can just like, that's kind of where I'm trying to lay in that situation and say like, well, I'm only going to be in a hundred stores. I'm only going to worry about trying to sell 300 pounds a month and make money off of that and focus on other states because California is broken. Like you need, if you want to fix this model, I'm trying to tell this man, bro, like <laughs> not he, he means the cannabis part, not the state. Well, the state is also in the, a the, crazy place. Like too. they this, move so slow. It's yeah. the state. It's the state. And that's why so many people have moved out of here recently. I think with it continuing to traject in this direction, it's going to get spread back out. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if the Mecca is going to remain here. It'll be interesting to see, right? The- what do you think about that, Brett? I think that's a great fucking point is what I think that is. Makes me because think about a few different things. And, shit. and I brought this up to him. I, I was like, I look, the originators and the guys who really know what they're doing, they got kids now. There's, there's things that you got to consider over just being here to be here because it's yeah. like damn they're hitting you in your pockets it's crazy outside you can't just go anywhere like it's it's a lot of stuff that all happening at once and yeah cali hasn't rebounded at all it's gotten it's getting worse faster and faster like honestly yeah know? the there's too many licenses for cultivation so with with so many cultivation for licenses just too much overproduction then you have <clears throat> you have the tax structure that benefits uh, the traditional market and, you know, really just penalizes the, the people who have dispensaries and cultivations for paying for all these licenses, taxes, and trying to follow all the rules, but they're paying like crazy amounts of taxes to just participate when, you know, basically it's like a, what, a $500 ticket if you get busted for growing right now at your house or something like, don't quote me on that shit, but it's cheap. Like no one's going to jail for weed right now. They're not processing feeding anybody and nor should they like, it's just the system has to change. The licensing side is too strict. It should be more inclusive. I love the licensing side for one major factor, the testing, not because of THC tests or whatever those numbers are, but because now everybody's like getting clean weed, the pesticides are out. Like that kind of shit is, is dope. It pushes the growers to not use cheat codes with pesticides and bullshit sprays, like learn how to grow properly so that your plants are resilient against pests and disease. Um, it did basically eliminate. I mean, if you're using like shit, like Eagle 20 and Avid yeah. and stuff like that, you're so far behind at this point. It's yeah. like that, that I, I, you know, it is cool for that. You do see <laughs> the last, three to five years people are like really on like are you on that shit like nah bro you know they look down which is great i'm glad to see that shit go away yeah yeah all these that bullshit that's a great benefit you want to fix california market you got to make it a cod market stores need to pay cod you can still leave the taxes where it at where it'll be but at least the brands that are trying to really do this can survive then right they're not going to get Cause every day there's like 10 more bag brands that just pop up that are willing to just like bend over backwards and give away discounts and do BOGOs and refill the shelf for these dispensaries over and over and keeping them. They can just run off on tabs and just yeah. take the credit line. Yeah. 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 It's, every it's, time. 
It's like free money, like with interest free. We'll pay you in 90 days. Maybe we'll pay you in 30 days. Maybe we'll pay you never. Right. And then when you really step back and you're like, you've been in the dogfight for like a minute and you've been like beat up in this situation and you try to get your bearings and figure out what's really going on. You're like, like all these stores want discounts. They've trained the consumer to go from store to store looking for a discount from this store on Sunday, this store on here. This brand has, you know, a BOGO running here or 30% off 50%. So they trained everybody. And I don't blame people that are consumers for trying to get a better deal. Like, like I don't waste my money out in the world. I, you know, I save my money for my kids and for my bills for those rainy days so that I can survive times like this. Right. And, um, people just, they, they just, uh, you, they need to change a few rules here, right? Like they need to get the money to the growers the way it is. They fixed the excise tax situation this year. See, up until the beginning of this year, mm-hmm. excise tax was going through a distro, supposed to be collected at the storefront, then go back to a distro, and then the cultivators would have to pay the, the, dis, the uh, excise tax. So you're talking about a ton of accounting and overhead that cultivators should not be responsible for, and then liability of that excise tax <laughs> if you don't pay that excise tax bill, you get taxed 50% penalty. So if you owe 100 grand, next month you owe 150 plus whatever the next month is. Like you get in a hole really quick not paying excise tax. And over the past three to four years of building my brand, I've had many stores uh, just not flat out pay me. And so what happens? I get screwed for the product. I, get, I have to pay their excise tax on the product that I got screwed on. So it's like getting doubled dipped that's false <laughs> you know what i mean and like, then now penalty next month on that and continue if you don't if, but so then you're taking money out of your pocket to pay that excise tax mm-hmm. and float that excise tax so you don't get the penalty because listen if you start getting that 50 percent penalty you're over which is no coming out of it there's, there's no small way. stores that will carry 40 50 60 thousand dollar tabs with multiple companies mm-hmm. and not pay them for years i yeah i had worked at a cultivation that was attached to a dispensary and at the time it blew my mind when they were like, I would find out like, oh, they owe crew cannabis 40 plus thousand mm-hmm. or they owe this come. And you'd hear this stuff and you'd be like for eight months mm-hmm. for a year. Mm-hmm. And it's like from from us coming from a certain side, I'm like, I'd be in the parking lot like, hey, guys, it's me from Blackleaf. <laughs> What's going on? You know, and it's like you can't do that as a big brand. And it's like this, like you said, the system is a little bit fractured. And, and you know why? It's because they don't there's no education moving around in it. It's almost like a hierarchy Mm -hmm. and then the rules come straight down and that's just the way it is versus talking to successful cultivators, talking to successful distros, dispensaries and speaking about like, why doesn't this work for you or why? And not only to just catch you in a loop, like, Oh, that's why you're not doing that Mm -hmm. to actually have a conversation of like, what do you think about this? And like, why doesn't, and then go back to the state and be like, all right, we have to do it this way instead. Cause this, because is the goal a long-term business that does well over the next 50 years, or is it to tax it to death and almost suffocate it? Well, this is where the, I think the, so it's like, if you can get COD, that would solve a lot of problems. Branders be healthier. You still have this overproduction problem, which will either solve itself through traditional market continuously with all of the distros and all that's going on. And you'll just have these weird situation or you just open up everything and say everybody is you have to you can grow this product you can sell it like a normal business you can put this weed into 
a UPS package or a FedEx and ship this to somebody for $2, like a normal package or a three, $4 package, not these direct to consumer models that don't really work when you really pencil them all out and you go through the whole situation, you end up going, man, I think we're going to lose money on this actually. Like we're, we're, we're actually, this direct to consumer model is going to make us less money than we, when we were dropping at the stores, paying the distro and the sales teams because of the way that they structure this thing. And, and this kind of just leads back to this whole situation where like California, United States is in this weird situation where we can't figure it out in this scenario where we got people still sitting in jail from weed crimes out. We're out here building businesses, you have weed traded on the stock market and they're still treating it in this weird, crazy way where we're paying sin taxes, penalties still looked down upon in some weird way when really this is like, this is modern medicine and everybody knows it. Uh, it's just weird like that we can't get to a place where this is not looked at like anything else other than cilantro or like a, a regular plant or something like that. Like this is so much less impactful than alcohol or, you know, prescription pills or any of these other things that are really, you know, the, the, you know, like my buddy of mine, friend's dad, he's like, Oh, you want to make money in the stock market? You just invest in evil shit. <laughs> he's like, he's like invest in alcohol, tobacco and guns. He's like, you'll make money. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, but is weed not in that category? Right. Weed's not in that category. Weed is like this thing that uh, I think really enlightens people and enhances people in different ways and brings out the best parts of people, like helps them evolve in, you know, uh, in a better way than, than so many of these other things that we're compared to. Like we should never be compared to tobacco or alcohol, even though there's all these parallels, like because it's, we don't want kids under 21, you know, and, you know, getting into it and, and having issues and, and like having really bad experiences or, I mean, I was smoking weed at 14 and like I still made it out. Okay. But I just don't think, you know, even at the age I'm at, I'm like, I don't know. I don't think that's a good idea. You know, like these 14 year old kids look like crazy as hell already. Can't imagine like seeing them all stoned already. Like I'm sure they are, but it's like with anything, right. It's like, Alcohol is 21, but most people drank before 21. Yeah, you know, for sure. So there is these boundaries. It's, it's interesting. It, it, I don't have a family. So I, that's always been the big question is like, wow, it is a double life, right? Or, yeah. and not in a negative way, just in a, like, I got to keep this part of this here and then this part not. And then you see some people that cross over where they're like smoking weed, kids are running around. You're like, wow, this is, and it feels a little crazy sometimes. Yeah. We've been programmed. We've been programmed for that. Like, yeah. Even with my kids, I stand out in the backyard. And they look at me through the window, smoking joints or hitting bong loads or hitting dab rigs. And I'm like, I should feel guilty, but I don't because this is legal and I'm a responsible adult. I'm keeping it away from them. They don't have access to it. And then they don't even care about it. They're so, they're so, you know. It's because you don't make it a big deal. Yeah. And in their lifetime, like they drive down the street, there's 50 weed shops. You know yeah. what I mean? Everywhere is a green cross somewhere. Yeah, there's you know? no like, like keep like, oh, it, the the whole what is that is mm -hmm. happening young now with yeah. kids for sure, especially with social media. Yeah. Kids are so advanced now, literally for that reason. Yeah. 
They get exposed to everything way younger. Yeah. And your people are just getting smashed in their living room, pounding alcohol in front of their kids. And it's like not even a, a second thought that that's, you know, maybe, you know, 10 times worse than uh, seeing me smoke this joint from a, you know, from 20 feet away through the glass window, you know, like for sure. You know what I mean? Like it's, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to put it in my kid's face and be like, I'm trying to be responsible. Like, Listen, you're too young for this. Like wait till you're 21 and then have some fun. Like yeah. finish all these things. Like I didn't do all these things. So that's why I missed out on a lot of skill sets that would probably really help me in my life now. But like I spent a lot of time just being creative and breeding and chasing other things. But you know, I probably could have spent more time, you know, reading books and learning more about business and, uh, you know, things that I learned along the way, uh, over the past four or five years that you learn from people that are around you. Now you kind of start getting into more elevated and sophisticated, uh, business conversations and you, you start learning and absorbing things and you're like, okay, like this is how you these structures need to be for so we don't get completely screwed on deals because i've had many deals that we were like you know how do you how do you structure these things there's so many variables on things that can go wrong you know i had product that got taken at the san diego like checkpoint they just like seized the van like one day boom like on the way we've been up and down delivering products to the distro like 80 pounds just goes and you're like well who's responsible for paying for that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, and you're like, well, I guess we need to figure out how to do this. And you know, these are the holes that are in contracts, you know, these that you have to figure out all these little things. And it's like, contracts are difficult. They're basically, you know, it's like writing your divorce in the, from the beginning of your relationship. Like, how does this contract, how does everybody get protected? And how does this thing fall apart? If it falls apart, where, I'm not, you know, getting hurt here and you're not getting hurt here. And if we win, we both win together. That's what a good deal is, right? Like that's how do- like good deals have longevity. Like if, if you outsmart me or outsmart you, that deal's not going to really last very long because you're going to figure it out pretty soon. Um, but if you have a very equitable, f- equitable, fair deal where you're both elevating each other and building along the way, then you celebrate, you can truly celebrate, celebrate each other's wins and have a long-term lasting relationship. But uh, so many times though, I don't know, it just seems like everybody thinks that everybody's going to screw somebody over. So they, they try to screw you over first or something, you know, like, or maybe that was their intention the whole time. And I just gave them too much credit or, you know, the, the game is crazy. What are some pitfalls? I was, as soon as you brought that up, you've been through some deals, you've seen some stuff. I mean, for people in the industry or people wanting to get in the industry, what are some pitfalls that you can kind of at least look out for? Or in a you know mm. an upcoming partner, potential partner, potential licensing deal, yeah. all that money, financial health, like it's a crucial thing. Whoever you're working with can't be about to on the teeter of collapse. You know what I mean? So you need to work with somebody. Depending on what the, the there's so many varieties of situations. Like for my brand, <coughs> I'm not willing to. Uh, <clears throat> dilute and raise capital to go build grows. Right. So you want to go build a grow that's, you know, 10,000 square feet. That's going to cost $10 million, you know, like to do it legitimately in, in a modern setting. Right. Unless you're building it in, you know, Adelanto 
where you might be able to get it done for eight million. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, you're not saving that much. So you're saving money on the land and the stuff, but the equipment, the labor, the labor is the cost that really co- costs a lot in the land, right? And then you got to live in Adelanto. Yeah, you got to live you in know, Adelanto. It's like people and, don't, they overlook that part or they look like, yeah, we're going to build yeah. out in the middle of nowhere. And then you're yeah. going to live out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and you're not going to be able to get anybody who wants to work out there. And the work pool that lives out there is very slim. So you start importing talent and having to have people move out of the city. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's Does a it, way harder push. Yeah, it's like, or it's like, okay, so you have that model. That's a big pitfall trying to figure out how to raise capital and build your own grows. And then that's the cost of building the grow. Now you have to operate the grow and that's going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars a month and, and get that thing going. And you're going to be out selling product and floating people waiting for terms. If you can't get all COD, especially if you overproduce, then you're going to be getting, you know, the vultures are going to show up and, you know, pick you apart for, you know, and have little backroom Start conversations. Wars. Totally. What, what smalls do you have? Yeah. yeah like we've sold them all. They're like, can you do the smalls price on the regulars? <laughs> yeah 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 so i don't like being in the bulk game at all i don't i don't like being in the bulk game i like working with partners that are successful in a space already but aren't number one i'll like they're number five or number four or number three and they're like they haven't figured out why they can't get to number one but they're still running a successful business and they're running an operation that is been proven right and then you can come in and go okay this is how we should you know, change your SOPs. These are the genetics that we can bring in and we can do a licensing deal where you guys are going to provide the infrastructure, but we'll provide the genetics and the SOPs. I will train all of your staff to grow and I won't, you know, really leave that state in until that, till that group is uh, up to par all the way. Right. And still, even with them up to par, you're still going to check back in like every two weeks, every month. So we just launched in Arizona back in february like last month so uh, time just flies so fast like what's going on but uh you know i went out there multiple times to the grow out there to work with their team and get those guys like on new processes they were already good growers like a lot of growers are pretty good at what they do they're pretty close to what it needs to be but they're always the ones that were they're not hitting the right terps or they're not hitting the, it's like they're just one or two little things that need to be adjusted and you're like you guys are actually like, you know, you're doing pretty good, but we just need to change this and this and this and, and then execute at scale and not have any mistakes because mistakes that happen between communications and, you know, human error and, and mechanical error or whatever it is that gets to you all the time. You know, you're always going to have stuff like that happen and an AC go out or a DHU go out or somebody was, you know, spraying a foliar IPM and didn't reset the timer properly. And then the lights stayed on for 24 hours in the middle of a harvest or you have all types of stuff that happens with human error. So, um, at scale, you know, it's like, it's, that's the, the factor at scale. Like when you're in multiple rooms and you're producing a thousand pounds a month or more or something out of one facility and how you get all of that achieved. It's like the knowledge is there. Like the, you know, uh, everybody kind of knows about the right, you know, types of food. If you're trying to go for quality, everybody knows about the lighting, that the environments, at least I think that everybody kind of uses, I assume that, but then they, they still see grows that, that don't execute it. Right. And I don't know if it's that they just don't know it or if it's just, it's really hard to get everybody to listen and get it done at the right time. And the, the chief in charge needs to be able to drive that team and get it all done when you're working with 20 or 50 people at a location. And, having so many 
moving parts happen constantly. So do you think you become almost OCD if you're a grower and you're not OCD? Do you think because like after a while, you like you say, you have to check multiple parts 100 times over. It's like it never ends. Yeah, it never ends. You just at a certain point, um, I hate to say it, but you have to just like you just keep rolling forward. Like you just can't look back. Mistakes happen. You're just like, there goes another one. You know what I mean? Because the machine is so big and it's just going and it's like it takes away from the purity of like the the art, right? Of of trying to keep everything perfect all the time, right? So it's like maybe you have 10 harvests that were perfect in a row and then there's 11th one you kind of missed on or something like that. And at the scale, when you're at a scale like that, that's that only took a week and a half to happen or two weeks. You know what I mean? Like when you're taking down four or five harvests a week, it's it's like, um, I don't know, it's just like you're playing the game at, at a much faster pace and the the learning curve, you have to learn a lot quicker. You know, there's no room for error. Every, every error costs a lot of money um, and everybody wants you to execute, you know, these buildings cost $20 million. You know, like I don't, I've never had that type of money to build something like that, but I understand how to operate it and I understand how to create great quality and hit the numbers. Maybe not on day one, I didn't. I thought I did going in, you know, and, but then when you realize it's, it's, that's why I say it's really about like the execution, the back end side of like getting what you know needs to be done daily. And when you cannot be in 36 rooms every single day, you, I would be in them every single day, but I was, I could only be in each room for maybe five to 10 minutes at a time, you know, and that would take up like six hours of the day. And then you'd be like, well, we have other problems in the water room. We have other problems in post-process. We have other problems in the trim room. We have problems in the cure room. So you have to go from department to department trying to get everything dialed because guys are hiring in Long Beach that are in the social equity program or coming in that we were trying to bring in very early on a lot of social equity people. Um, they didn't really know a lot about weed. So they didn't know like, this is what wet weed is like, yeah, don't close that, you know, like don't close the lid on this. You know, this is how you cure stuff, let it dry properly. Then we had to get all scientific and get water, moisture, content meters and show them like, this is what it's supposed to be. Like it's supposed to have a little squish, the stem's supposed to snap. And then the number for that is this with this strain and then do that every strain so that we can try to systematically create high quality at scale, which is just really hard to be consistent. And that's what the brand is supposed to be that like the Coca-Cola consistency is supposed to be there. Like we're supposed to be able to anyone who looking for a good eighth of weed is supposed to be able to buy any one of these boxes. Doesn't matter what strain it is. They're supposed to, be able to have confidence when they buy this box that, or any of our weed, whether it's in a bag or a box or a pre-roll or whatever, that it's going to be quality. It's going to meet a certain level. Like, it may not hit a 10 because it's very hard to hit a 10 from that scale. And I'd like to say that we're at the highest level of quality at scale that I can maintain, right? But there are certain systems that I can't change when it comes to uh, testing and the time and length that it takes to get to a store sometimes and get through distro hubs and then get on the shelf. Like there's, it, it takes a lot of movements to get all your product there. It's like, it's not the same as like when you just trim this after it dried for 12 days, hanging in your garage, and then your boy, you know, had it for three or four days curing, and it's just smacking perfect, like 
every nug is exactly picturesque, you know, unfettered and undamaged. Like it's impossible to get to that at that scale because there's so many moving parts. So, um, but I'll take the challenge though. Like literally anything in these boxes, anybody wants to show up from the street selling thousand dollar ounces or $16,000 pounds or crazy, whatever. Like I would love to do a blind taste challenge and, and, and line up a few joints and have everybody grade our scale product at commercial versus some of the home grows like calling out the small batch boys. <laughs> I like competition, dude. So small batch boys. Like you might have to do something. Yeah, I think it's in the DMs. We could we could arrange it. You know what I mean? That would be dope. That'd at be the dope. studio, some, some blind tests. Yeah, we'll do it live. Yeah, <laughs> show up, ain't show no up cheating with, that. We'll yeah. do it live. We'll do it live. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Show up with you know your best Yo, straight at that time. Boys versus Wonder Brett. I like that. Now you guys, you just boys can come masked up if you want. Don't worry. Yeah, I do. I do have a question. Most people haven't experienced this before. What's it like entering like into a multi million dollar deal, a business deal as a grower, right, or, or as a I would say more brand because you bring everything. Well, can I ask yeah. the the warehouse you had mm -hmm. versus what you jumped to? What yeah. was the lights on that to what you're at now? So we had we basically, like I said, I do with a lot of tangents because my ADD. So I'm glad you brought it back. OK, so we went from my dad's house where I did a lot of the breeding projects as I was getting rid of this house. So I did um, more breeding there than anywhere else. And I took a lot of losses on that. Then uh, my partner, Cam, he had a spot with 30 lights at this warehouse that he had ran his business from for a long time. So he had the lease for a long time. The owners were cool with him and it had just the right amount of power. And I was just came back from Colorado and I was like, I want to start this brand. And I was just getting it started. And I called up my boy, Cam, and I was like, yo, let's use this spot and let's go half on this brand. You can have half the brand and we'll go. And we started it like I started it first and called him and then we we ran it together. We were co-founders of the brand though. We did it and really, I'd only done a small batch of Wonder Brett before that. And then we really built it together, right? And our whole team around me, the, the people that were like 10, 15 guys uh, around us that had been growing with us for sometimes even, you know, 10, 15 years on the team. Um, we all went from, you know, not everybody could live in that and, and eat off of that 30 light grow. Right. And that's where the brand started in prop 215 out of that small space. And everybody thought because of the packaging and all this shit, everybody thought the brand was way bigger than it really was. And they didn't really under, they didn't know our story. They didn't know that we had been OG growers for a long time, like for already 10 plus years. And, uh, <clears throat> I almost feel like we did too good of a job on the packaging because People look at it and go, oh, that's probably just some fancy ass packaging. They have really nice packaging, but the weed's probably not that good. You know what I mean? Like when I get a compliment, sometimes I'm like, I love your packaging. I'm like, <sighs> I'm, like <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, damn, I'm like, I, it's a great compliment, but I, I wish you would have said, I love my, I love your weed. Right. And then they might follow up with that afterward, but I would rather that be the first thing they said to me. If you're out there. That's what I want. <laughs> I'd rather be that yeah, yeah. than the packaging. So I, there's times where I'm like, I just want to put out something that's like brown, like paper bag from like Ralph's design. You, you know what I mean? And just like, and just and, and blind test, you know, some shit and just be like, if that shit, if it's fire, they'll just keep coming back and buying it. Right. Like, so it's, it's about consistency and fire. 
the packaging was just me being creative and color and artistic because I like to build the whole, I don't know, I just like things tying together. I didn't realize it when we were doing it, but when I look back at it, this whole brand and most of my life is like this puzzle pieces that I blindly put together, not knowing when I was, what I was doing, but it was like, I guess that's my style. And then when you look back at it, it all kind of fits together the way it linked, you know, with the colors and the logos and the, uh, the, the whole brand aesthetic and the trying to build this Wonder Brat universe of artwork and, um, and just entertain people too, like the Wonder Bread experiences when we did those, those are really fun. I don't know if you ever saw it, any of that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but we had the, like the tastings and the supper clubs and the, you know, uh, making art uh, live for people so they could take that home and having that just be all a surprise. Like the people that came to that event didn't know that they were getting that experience. It was just a, here's a private invitation from us. Um, I wish I would have known you guys then I would have invited you. But like we did like a special strain launch like that where they all the food was paired and then we had the art on the easels and me and the uh, artists who make all the, the logos and then shout out to Gabe over here who puts everything together and makes it look all polished like he's the real professional one that makes the brand look like crisp right so he makes all of our our assets puts them together and makes them makes them right and he has a bunch of other great skills too um, he's a really modest guy. Um, but these artists around me, uh, have been able to create this, you know, the vision and deliver all this stuff together in one nice little package. Right. So we, we, people that went to that event, they got to take home that artwork that night. And, and that's the kind of experience that I want to give people a surprise. I want the next Wonder Bread experience to be something different so that when you go, you're like, I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be something dope. And we had like really dope artists perform there, like, uh, you know, Savannah Blue and this guy C.S. Armstrong, who signed to Dre and uh, just top, you know, top artists, top musical artists, culture, food and the weed. It's like it's what I imagine that if if someone was selling me a ticket, we didn't sell any tickets, but if someone was selling me a ticket for four or five hundred dollars to go to a special event, I want it to feel like old school Vegas, like. Yeah, you know, like we're at the table. They got the dope music live right here, and then the, here comes the tray pass with the the cherries dipped in white chocolate, and here comes out the cherry weed, the cherry trop, you know, or our cherry cola strain, which is a new strain that's coming. We can talk about that a little bit too, but um, that's not out. But I'm really excited about that one. Um, but that's the type of shit that I want to leave an impression on people. And then like I've done all that kind of stuff for the, with the brand and I feel really fulfilled and blessed and grateful to be able to do all these things. And like, if, if this is all I've ever done and it all falls apart, like, like I'm cool. Like, like I don't feel unsatisfied with what I've, I still feel like I have a lot more I want to do. Don't get me wrong. Like I want to go hundred year brand. I want to go from state to state. I've been killing myself driving and traveling and flying all over the place this past year to set up more deals and expand and maintain the quality in the QC because I want people to go, yeah, when I got the OZK in Cali, it was the same as it was in Arizona. And it tasted the same in in Michigan too when we were out there and in Jersey and Massachusetts and Illinois and all the other states we're coming to right now. So quality control, vision of the brand, like all this, like 
and and then going i know i keep dancing around but going back to your question we went to that 30 light grow and that's where we really built the brand and the image and attracted a lot of attention and then transferred we we were right in the middle of this deal to transfer into the 218 uh 2018 right when recreation was starting where shops were saying listen if you don't have it coming from a licensed grow and not a medical like setup where you've got like patients like where you got a license grow like we can't take this into metric now there's this metric system at the grow at the dispensaries and we can't take the weed into the store so we had to get this type of deal so we made a deal with this group in sun valley uh out in the like near like burbank area over there right and they had the grow and it was awful like they should we should have just thrown a match at it and burnt the building down because it was just full of pm terrible construction dudes had uh you know air exchanges going from one room to the next just spreading you know guard like you know pm from one room to the next like we spent about a month sterilizing the place scrubbing it repainting it getting it down to that place and then getting our genetics in there and getting it going at that facility the deal we made there was like a kind of a licensing deal again where we ran the grow again we rebuilt this place like it went from being total garbage to being like a well-oiled machine by the time we left so we were at that point we raced into the market to get there as fast as we could because i really wanted to be at the grand opening of the cookie store on melrose it was just like a historic moment in time and we were able to catch it just in time and uh how many lights was that that you moved into the 30 lighter to the there was eight rooms there with 12 lights in each room so eight times 12 mm-hmm. whatever that was the bloom side of things 96 yeah yeah and then we and went then into plus like, veg or the yeah then we veg. that's when we we started getting into double stacking and triple stacking led veggies mm-hmm. is where we did that there first we had already been using a mixed combo of light before that at the 30 lighter and at the other like home grows before too uh a friend of ours had bought all these leds and we're like they don't work and then we were like give them to us and I started putting them in between the lights and we started putting them around the canopy and my buddy Cam was putting them around the canopy. We were trying to put, hanging them off the wall at different angles, this way, that way, putting two LEDs around a Gavita in the middle. And we started to see like crazy different results. We were like, oh yeah, we're getting like four pounds of light on some of these strains right now, like better yields, better terpene production, shorter bloom times because LEDs kind of shorten your bloom cycle by like four or five days on certain strains. Um, and that's when we really realized that like LEDs were legit, but on their own, they weren't legit at that time. Like the, the spectrums, these little flying saucer things, like they weren't efficient. They were like 600 watt. They didn't throw enough light for what you were getting. And then here comes like uh, some guys out of the valley. Um, what is it? Um, Spectrum Kings. They were like, we're building this LED and they had these light bars and they were like, all right, let's try these. And immediately I was like, whoa, like the veg responded really good on these. So then we started using those on the veg. We started doing the double stack. We started seeing, you know, people with posting stuff all around the country, like in Colorado, where you start to see like, was it like Fluence was the first group that kind of like put out this really expensive LED like that. It was too expensive, but the guys from Spectrum King, um, they had a cheaper one. They were good light. We ended up growing into a different, uh, led that we like now but um those were good transition to see from there so it was it was 
we maxed out the veg space to make those rooms. That's why we triple stacked. And we were basically taking down a harvest every, I think it was like eight days or every seven days or something like that on that, that cycle right there. So eight um, rooms. Yeah. Once yeah. every week, basically. Yeah. 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 So from that facility to the one you're in now, what, what's that jump? So a friend of mine calls me, Hey, these guys are building this huge grow in Long Beach. They're very well capitalized and they're looking for a brand like yours to grow for. They are going to be producing a lot of flour and they're not going to be able to sell it all. They need someone like you to be able to help. There were supposed to be different growers in there at that time. The deal with the growers there had fallen apart that they had originally talked to. And they had asked us if we'd want to, we kind of were like saying to them, listen, we, we've never had anybody grow our weed for us, right? Like, so they asked us if we wanted to, to grow and run the facility. We we're like, okay, you know, we'll, let's, let's do this. You know, like I'm always ready for a challenge. I'm not ready to, I'm not like scared of failure. Like that's what you learn from. Like, you know, like you just take risks, calculated risks so you can go home at night, you know, and, and not lose your life. But, um, you know, that's, so I ended up getting down there and talking with these guys and, we came in like right at the, I'd say like the very end of this build up because they had already designed everything. It was already being built. The walls, they were, they were two, three years deep into the construction. And um, to be able to have that scale at that early part of the market, you got to remember if, if you remember back at that time, right at 2018, there was really very few licensed grows that were operating and they had to make clean product that would pass in the market and get out there and, and be proper we were preparing for years in the medical phase like i was already like on how to get the the cleanest product i wanted non-detect on everything so we were already honed our skills in that grow side at that at the 30 lighters and the home grows and and then going to that other grow like we did really well out there and we were we were we needed more product at that same time so it was kind of a good deal like it was early in the market. If you remember like the most successful brand coming out the gate was Lowell Farms and it was these like pre-rolls and it was like, why? Because they were the only ones who had pre-rolls on the market. They were like the only ones to be able to get the product in the shelf. novelty as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that and, you Which know. I don't want, you know, it's something you would buy at least once and check it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's smart though. Cause like right when the industry booms and opens up, everyone just wants to be part of it. Well so they buy stuff. Product, yeah. yeah. They had you the know. first lounge too. Yeah. yeah. They, they botched that one. Yeah, there's all that. I don't like to throw dirt on anybody, but yeah, if, yeah. if everybody already knows the story, they know what happened, you know, like <laughs> did work out. So <laughs> So so how many lights is that facility than the big one that you move into in Long Beach? That's uh, a because that's a big facility. Yeah. It's I used to know all the numbers in my head and just live in that place, but the past year it's been like pretty much running on autopilot, like with the team that's been there and the, the guys that have got it there. But it's thirty six rooms with 32 lights in there each room yeah and then mm -hmm. you have uh that's a man that's a that's nice i like that 32 light rooms yeah it was i liked the concept size. going yeah. into it in the beginning i was like oh we're gonna do small batch if we have any outbreaks of any problems we can limit it in size and we can contain it um 32 times 36 it's 1152 lights in bloom and in then bloom yeah and then you have all of these wow. veg spaces so the the building's very so you go from 100 to 1100 yeah yeah a thousand jump plus veg you just which grab veg your balls is 200 and go. lights probably i'm you guessing just grab your balls and go and go we're we gonna do this i had a team i had guys on my team that had been there for 15 20 years with me 
I believe in my team. I still believe in my team. Um, and that's why we did it. Like, that's why we went, jumped in and did it. We can, we can do this. Like it was, it's scary, you know, like, because you're, you're in over your head on certain phases, right? Because you've never done something that big of scale before. And you've never loaded up a room every day and flipped it. Like, yeah, we're loading up this room and then drop it and load in this room and drop it and load in this room and drop it and load it. And then behind that, you're like, well, the veg has to feed all this. And then you get to come up with this mathematical equation that took me a little while to figure out of like, I need to cut clones uh, 21 days minus this veg time minus this bloom time. And, and then that is actually like 90 something or 110 days out actually, so that I can end up to refill this room right when this room comes down so that we can refill it the next day. You know, like you cut it down, you clean it that day, you refill it the next day. Like, and it's a machine and it's like, I think that our facility was the largest facility, 22,000 square foot canopy turned on first in California of that canopy, that scale. Um, we were first to market at scale. You know, there was, I'm pretty sure Jungle Boys had massive amount of grow because, but it was just, it, it wasn't in one facility. They had multiple grows and they were so big. So they probably had way more canopy than we had, but that one facility and probably some other groups too out there, you know, like with light depths and weird type of licenses that people kind of put, you know, 10, one, 10 or five, 10,000 square foot stacks together. And they were able to like manipulate the system into bigger licenses. But we were the first in California to have it at that scale. And we were able to grow the brand uh, faster that way. Cause we were out, we're getting this effect. Like we weren't as early as Lull, but we were like six months after them, which was still like, really far ahead of people getting at that scale to be able to service four or 500 stores and then figuring out the infrastructure of how to work a sales team and distro and all these things were all just new things and running sophisticated businesses, you know, that, um, don't have anything to do with the quality of wheat. You know what I mean? Like people and personalities and human resources and feelings. Like I never had to deal with any of that shit till that kind of stuff. I, we, we were our, our homies. We all just insulted each other all day long and made jokes. And that was the way we communicated, you know, like, so there was when my guys transitioned into this facility and we were running this thing, like everybody had to change a little because we were like, now there can be a lawsuit from through, you know, human resources and, and, uh, somebody, you know, thought you were talking about them. And you were just talking about something else. Like it's a crazy world and I don't want to be part of that side of things. So it's like, you know, I just want to focus on the growing and uh, having the least amount of drama, <laughs> you know, like if you're, you, you have to get the right team and then it takes a long time to, to get the right 15, 20 guys. Yeah, we had to go through, I, I would say Long Beach over the three or four years probably went through, you know, we at the peak had 150 employees on the floor and I'm, I'm, I would say that probably half of those people would come and go, uh, every year and only half would stay. And the, some of them, like the people that really have strong work ethic that had to work like that, they would stay because people don't realize they, they came in so many times, like so gung ho. Yeah. I work all day. I'll do this. And they, they get into a room and start de for like four hours. And they're like, 
they're like tapping out at like 2 p.m. on the first day. You know what I mean? Like, I just, this isn't for me. I didn't realize it was going to be this hard. Like, they all figure you'd be skipping down the hallway with a joint in your mouth. Like, you can't smoke here. You're like, this is work. You know what I mean? Like, I used to just be always in the grow room, like on this little stool in the middle of the aisle with like a joint in my mouth, like just pulling leaves like this, you know, like, and then the joint would go down and you, all right, let's get this thing done, you know, like, and you just, it's just not that way when you're working in that environment. Unfortunately, like cannabis is just overregulated. this whole situation. It's like, why does it have to be this way? Why can't we smoke in the grow? Um, I don't know, you know, like, yeah, no, totally. you know, these people at the to... breweries are drinking beer on site, you know, like they're tasting, you know, like just even getting samples to taste your own product in the beginning was ridiculous. It was like, how does this work? Wait, I'm just going to package this up and then sell it. And then I have to go to the store to buy it, to find out if it was good. There's no, that, that can't be how this works. And then you finally got a system in place where they allowed you to take like two, three gram samples. And you're like, okay, now I can smoke the weed and not be breaking the law because everything's under cameras that are like watching at the sheriff's department or whatever they're doing. You know, it's all videotaped to there. So, you know, you're trying your best to, to, to build a real, you know, follow the rules business model, right? Like, uh, and that's not like the way of cannabis, like intuitively cannabis is like counter culture you know, anti-corporation, you know, like, but at some point, if you want to produce a thousand pounds a month and do it properly, like you have to use a system to do that because you can't do it with three guys. You have to, you have 50 guys or a hundred guys to execute that. And how does an operation work like that where it communicates? Like it has to have a system. And if, if having a system and being organized and trying to achieve something in efficiency makes it corporate, you know, like then I don't know. You show me another way to get there. You know what I mean? And it's like, uh, I don't like the way the corporate guys make decisions. You know what I mean? Cause it's tough. It's a double-edged sword. Any, any big business has to be a business. Yeah. And that's the real problem. Should it be that big? What's, what's coming up for wonder Brett? Like what's the next chapter? What are you working on? What's next? It's, it's more States consistent quality control. Uh, new genetics consistently. We just dropped uh, the Beyond Blueberry 2.0, Agave, uh, Orange Picasso. That's just this year. Um, those three strains of we dropping like one a month right now. Uh, got a few more strains on the way. Um, this uh, OZK crossed with Cherry Cookies um, came out incredible. This Fino that I found tastes like. Uh, just tastes like cherry cola straight up, like really unique. I've never tasted anything like it before. So I'm excited about that. Cherry um, cookies, famous one. Shout out straight flame and sear. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. That was from their crew. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's about trying to expand um, and, and really just focus on Terps. Right. And, and not lose the quality along the way, like expansion too fast you know, you, you lose quality, right? So you, you can only be in so many places at one time. And it takes time to get a, a place dialed in to where you can kind of then go to another place, depending on where it starts out at, right? Like if, if it needs more work going in, or if they're just a few steps away from, you know, uh, being all right. Like I've been to several grows where 
they're growing with the right nutrients their rooms are set right the quality of the flower looks great on the plant and then you get to the the end product and you're like this is just what happened and you're like and then you start looking at their post processes and they're like oh you guys are just don't know how to dry and cure weed at all like like i don't know where these cure bins came from that you guys got and who came up with this process like i've seen shit where they're cutting the plant apart and putting into this barrel with the trim and the leaf and the stem on it. And they're like, yeah. So they walk, I'll go back up on the story. They walk me into their dry room. And I'm like, Oh, this looks pretty good. I'm like, you guys just take it from here and then do what? And they're like, well, we cut it in here and this is where you should just take it to go trim it. Right. They're just like cutting it and putting it into these barrels and then they're curing it with everything in this barrel for 90 days, then trimming it. And then like everything was exactly the same turp, just old, chlorophyll flavor you know what i mean they couldn't figure out like why their weed had no flavor no smell and you're like you were so close like all you had to do was from here to the trim table but you guys somebody showed up and sold you this cure barrel idea to do this and you know you just god knows for how many years they've been doing that terrible process just ruining like pound after pound after pound and it, that could have been good, you know, and you're just like one little tweak on their post process. And you're like, okay, now let's see what happens over the next week. And then they're like, oh my God, like the weed has smell again and this and that. And you're like, yeah, because we've ran this play and we figured this out a long time ago. Like so many people show up and like, don't really know what they're doing. They kind of facade a lot of stuff and they're in over their head. And then it just ruins it for people that actually do know what they're doing. And so it's like, even when someone like myself shows up, like not that, Oh, I don't like to speak myself like that. Uh, third person or any of that kind of shit. It's too much ego, but I have a lot of experience and they still skeptical until like, I'm like, okay, here's a, here's a free tip. Call me in a week when that, when that works out for you. And then they're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, in all different levels, whether it's in a lab or whether it's in the, you know, outdoor, or whether it's in the indoor, like we've done a lot of stuff. We have seen a lot. I've solved a lot of problems. And that's all this business is, is solving problems all the time. Like every day. Sometimes it's in the grow. Sometimes it's in the field. Sometimes it's at a dispensary, a relationship, you know, and trying to grow something's hard. Like, you put a lot of trust in the people that represent you out there. And sometimes the people that you put trust in don't represent you as well or how you would carry yourself or how you would handle a situation. And they rub people wrong. And then you're like, man, that count was like doing five pounds a month. And now it's like, you're only taking like a pound a month. Like what happened? You know? And it's very personal, you know, very personal. So you, it's hard to, a lot of people walk around with Wonder Brett credit cards out there with my name on it. And, you know, I end up, getting the finding out about it a little bit later after the fact, like when the bill shows up, <laughs> you know? So, uh, but we try to be like Switzerland, you know, we're not drama makers. Like we're, we're trying to work with everybody. Like, like literally shout out to everybody who's ever helped me get to where I am right now. Like I'm grateful. Any more shout outs? Shout out Josh D for sure. Okay. Uh, the strain changed my life and I owe the guy, you know, and everybody who, who had their lives changed by OG, you know, for the West coast in that era, Josh D is a big guy. Like, and helped a lot of people. Uh, I got a lot of good genetics from karma squad. Uh, 
Crockett DNA uh, compound Sherb. Shout out to Big uh, Be Real being the Godfather always. My whole team, my partner Cam, uh, Sublime Russ, uh, Patty Pimlin. We just did that collab with him, the UFC fighter. You gotta uh, help us get him on the show. Yeah, oh, we could do man. that for sure. It'd be interesting. And he's a dude. He's a huge smoker and he's so funny. Honestly, he's a really yeah. fun guy to be around. That's you, what I'm saying. Yeah, we'll bring dude, him down. Yeah, he's a character. Yeah, BJ Chicago Kid, Relentless Genetics, Redline, my boy Redline, and. Uh, and just like everybody at, at the Wonder Brett uh, team out in Arizona, holding it down at the Grow, everybody out in Michigan, holding it down, bringing the product and making us proud out there to be uh, representing our product and our brand out there. And, and just, uh, you know, everybody who sat around the table and, and shuck seeds with me for like a month straight, going from like plant to plant, like on breeding processes and genetics. And like, there's just no reward at the end, except for this bag of seeds that like, I will pop and bring back weed again and then we will taste these flavors, but it's a long reward. And then, you know, have you ever sat at a table and, and just like shuck seeds for like hours and hours no. and hours and days? Personally, and days? no. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I did about a month and I was like, and then every time you go through the material, you go through it again and you find more seeds. Oh, totally. So totally. you're like, I missed. I went to spend hours going through this and now I found more seeds. Like then you have to go through it again yeah. because you're like, I just found another 60 seeds in the material that I thought and they're great. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's, it's tough. Cause you're just like, sometimes you're like, I think there's 500 seeds in this bag. I'm like, do we even need to shut the rest of this plant? I'm like, are we going to sell these seeds ever? Or are we just like, this is just for the pheno, like to, to keep this in the vault. So like if all the genetics go, we have everything backed up in all these seed formats and seed crosses. And like the next breeding project I'm doing right now, like is, uh, Ozzy Kush cross with jealousy. Then I have a really nice male and I'm doing the pheno hunt of that cross. I cross the OZK into the jealousy on that. And, um, you know, you're just trying to find new shit and just like, I used to be so attached on trying to keep every genetic. We still have like crazy. We are really attached on that. Like we have probably a hundred on this list that we have in veg and in tissue culture backed up. But like, um, I'm becoming more, complacent in the sense that having the seed backups of all of these crosses almost makes me feel more comfortable than whatever is even in veg or tissue culture like because i know what everything is and i'm like over here it's like i know that's it's in there i just gotta go find it again it kind of makes it feel like it might be fun uh to go hunt for something and maybe find something different a new twist on it again and be like i don't know it's tough to I'm, I'm like I'm like a guy who wants to eat different places all the time. Like I can't eat the same place all the time. So I can't smoke the same weed all the time. Like I need to change it up constantly. And I like awesome. that. So oh, yeah. Staying true to the game, man. Wonder Brett. Yeah. Yep. But there ain't nothing Let's like go. that first smoke of the day. No, nah, <laughs> definitely. For <laughs> first dab of the day. Hey, yeah. You know, same. I, I, whatever, whatever flavor you're on. Yeah. What do you guys got going right now? I know you guys is like big hustle. I like smoking your papaya, bro. That shit is great. Yeah. That's about it, man. First smoke. We're about to hit episode 100. Yeah. Uh, we right. got New York City. We got Road this 100. 420 yeah. coming 20X, up. 420 NYC. Okay. Rooftop sesh, bro. Come I, through if, if I can here. get there, it's going to be hard because we have a second store opening up uh, about a week after 420 uh, here in LA on, uh, on Beverly. Um, so there's a, that I'm partnered with, with Josh D actually is his license on that. Nice. Um, so we're trying to like, we're trying to keep it together. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? We're trying to keep all the OGs together. Um, but yeah, 420, I wish I need to, 
maybe you know what I'm gonna say. I'll definitely be there next year if I can't be there this year. Yeah, because I I definitely feel like uh, with LA and Arizona and Michigan, I got to show them the love right now as much as I can uh, in those places because that's where they we selling the product that we represent out 100%. there. Mm -hmm. So, but like we're going to be in New Jersey pretty soon and probably New York. I know we'll be in mass. Uh, so this, I feel like next year makes the most sense too. And then this year is already kind of like it's a tight schedule right now. So hundred yeah. percent, man. Yeah. Well, shit. Wonder Brett episode 91. Yeah. Just flavors. Come on. Yeah, man. Hit it. Thank you guys. Absolutely. Peace.